On the Empire Podcast this week, we enjoy a continental breakfast with Ian McShane to talk about John Wick Chapter 4. We get dramatic with John Boyega as we address breaking and we dip into an infinity pool with Alexander Skarsgård. Ah, doesn't that sound nice? All this and more on the only movie podcast that has served, that will be of service, but not under the high table because it doesn't seem like an organisation with a great health and safety track record. Right? Hello, everybody. I'm Helen O'Hara. And in the week of our Lord John Wick, I'm your host (laughs) of the Empire Podcast, as Chris can't be with us today. But never fear, because I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning that even Baba Yeager treads cautiously around them. First up is our very own harbinger. It's James Dyer. Hello. Yes, Chris can't be here because I have declared him excommunicado. (laughs) He's now running for his life with only a dog. With only a dog for company. (laughs) With a... 20 quid target on his head? Basically that. It was either that or I kill him with a pencil. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, thanks, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and uh, and best of luck to Chris uh, in these trying <laughs> May times. May the odds be ever in his favour. <laughs> and then we have a woman known only as The Butcher, uh, mostly because <laughs> that is her name. It is, of course, Sophie Butcher. How are you doing? Hello. Hi, Helen. I'm Hi. good. How good, are you? Good, good. Yeah, good to have you back on the pod. Thank you. It's good to be here. Sophie, remind, remind me where you're from. What is the city that you're from? Oh, God. Oh God! I've told you this so I, I, many pre- times. Pretend, pretend also, for just a moment that you know, like at the beginning of Game of Thrones, you know how the map where it's just like you get up to Winterfell, then there's the wall, and everything is just like the the lands of always winter, right? That's everything north of the wall. For me, that's everything north of the Watford Gap. So, where no, in, in the fairness, Frostfangs? In your case, it's everything north of Watford. <laughs> I mean, also true. But no, but so, but what's the name of the the town, city, hamlet? Yeah, it's a town, it's yeah. not a city, and it's called Middlesbrough. Are you called the Butcher of Middlesbrough? Yes, that is what they call me. Well, uh, as your it's lawyer, <laughs> as your lawyer, I'm going to suggest that we don't get into the reasons why uh, yeah. for that. Because very you know, renowned family we are. No, yeah, not. yeah. Not. But you are the butcher. You are yeah. like the matriarch. The butcher, yeah, the superlative. Yeah, yeah. I like to think so. Ah, oh, I mean, oh, John Wick mythology. Bloody love it. Anyway, we'll get into that in the <laughs> yeah. review section. Yeah. We have some, uh, you know, normal stuff, other stuff to get through first. Do we? Yeah, I mean, normal is probably too strong a word. You're right. But, you know, we have the usual steps to go through first. Let me put it that way. Fair. Um, let's take, in other words, some reader questions. Okay, this first question comes from Asif Ahmad at Armadou on Twitter and asks, favourite inanimate object used to bludgeon or kill someone in a film. A 12-inch black rubber cock. In the Lock, movie. stock and two smoking barrels. Okay. And that's a bludgeon more than a stabbing <laughs> weapon, it's, it's, I guess? I mean, it depends. I mean, it was the tip. But no, it was... It was oh, no, he, 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 someone is bludgeoned to death with, and I quote, a 12-inch black rubber cock. I right. mean, everything everywhere... Dildos. Sure, but there's no actual killing of... Are they, are they actually killed Wait, with those? Do, doesn't she turn the guy in the hall and doesn't he like explode? Into Is it a dildo or a dildon't? Oh, I mean, that... I mean... Uh, I don't... I would say don't, here, James. really. I would <laughs> no. say very much don't. Okay. I mean, I'm not an expert, but... I feel like that, that sequence was inspired by the, the 12-inch black rock hole. But by Lock, Sock and Two Smoking yeah. I mean, it's possible, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, aside from sex toys, <laughs> okay. do we have okay. any answers to this okay. question? I mean, I've always been partial to, for example, dropping a TV on someone's head, as in Gross Point Blank. Uh, that's good, that's good. <laughs> and indeed, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. But of course, yeah. yes. I think that was the first example in all our minds. Uh, <laughs> Remind me which one that was. She gets pulled into a TV. 
Okay. Courtesy of Jean-Jacques Gabor, actually, as I recall. But that's neither here nor there. But uh, yeah, so yeah, no TV, TV, death by TV. It's good. Death by stereo. Death by stereo. Death by stereo. <laughs> Dude, that was, that's of course, right. the Lost Boys. But in fairness, I feel like a lot of the killing in that case was done by the crossbow bolt. He, 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 that well, made he was, it yeah, it was definitely the arrow that, that yeah. pinned him to the stereo. My immediate thought was, I can't remember which Bourne film it is, but doesn't he just go after someone with like a rolled up magazine? A, a copy of Empire magazine. magazine, I like to think. Yes, I, I too. <laughs> Who among us cannot say that we've murdered someone with a copy of yeah. Empire magazine? Surprisingly sturdy when rolled up. Uh, as your lawyer, again, we can't James. confirm or deny whether that's how our morning meeting Six. can simply oh, yes, allude. You know how to do this. <laughs> it may or may not have happened. Yeah, because he he kills he kills a guy with a pen or fights a guy with a pen mm-hmm. with a magazine. Yeah. Uh, I, feel I like I, pens come up a lot, right? Yeah. Pens the pen is mightier than the sword, Sophie. <laughs> so, you know. Not in John Wick's case. No. Although sometimes. Although sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. yeah. Occasionally if, it is. If necessary. I mean, he will he will use a pen if that is all that is available. I kill the guy mm. with a pencil. <laughs> He's killed three guys in a bar with a fucking pencil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as Peter Stormare said. Oh, God. It is an actual weapon, but I always just find it very satisfying when John Wick runs out with bullets, gets a gun, and then just chucks the gun yes. at the person. Mm. It's great. It is he, great. He like, looks, looks at his gun. That is a weapon, but in a different use. But so. In a different use, that's true. Like, that like, like when somebody like bludgeons somebody with their bow because yeah. they've run out of arrows. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's always quite satisfying. Mm. Um, or, or gets them in the gets them caught between like the what do you yes. call it, the wooden bit and the string bit. Oh, as bow. as someone who is a an archer, Helen, I yeah. can safely say yes, it is in fact the wooden bit and the string bit. Thanks yeah. for thanks for that's, giving that's me that. That's the correct uh, terminology. Yes, that, that, mm. that detailed terminology. So you know, sometimes they get them, you know, caught between those, and then they do a funny thing and like yeah. Mm. Well, Legolas, you know, like when he's pulling out the arrows, and then the ore gets too close, and he just used and pokes him in the eye with the arrow before then. Yes, and then shooting still at someone reloads. Else. And yeah. fire it. but that is a weapon, I suppose. That's it not is. Really it the, is the, the less question. of a bludgeoning. <laughs> I mean, the John Wick using the book creatively against the giant in the library in library Library 3. So good. I like the knife fight in the knife shop. That was again. Those are weapons. Again, that's an though, actual James. weapon. But, actual but there's so, there's just something glorious about having a knife fight in a knife shop, yeah. which is a shop Very populated crummy. exclusively by knives. Uh, it's great, <laughs> much like the Australian Sea. The Australian Sea. Yeah, swimming knives. There's all sorts of shit out there that will that's, get you. I suppose that's true. Yeah. yeah. I, I the, my only you know hesitation in recommending the book Death. I I, I just mm. want to make clear is you know it does get the book messy. And mm. obviously, we don't as as a as a podcast as a peoples, mm. we do not approve of of messing up books. No, always also, use a bookmark. Quite loud in a library. I, I imagine he got some shh. I think he probably did. Yeah, but John Wick. He's a maverick. He doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. <laughs> no, he's not maverick. That's he's not. No, that's sorry, very different. He sorry. blows people up with missiles. That's very noisy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, so. I, I, no, there must be something else. Like, like, has anyone ever been bludgeoned to death with one of those? What are they called? The art, the the you know, like the Pixar lamp. What are they called? Uh, angle poise, angle, angle poise lamps, an angle poise lamp. Someone must have been killed by an angle poise lamp. <laughs> I'm not thinking of any. Has I'm anyone not... seen Luxo Junior recently? Oh no, that's an awful thought. I, I worry that the the you know the, the hinge bit of the angle poise would break long before yeah, quite a person died. Hinge breaks all of us at one point or another, Helen. <laughs> Just going to leave that there. That is true. Oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a, it's a terrifying nightmare. But uh, but yeah, I just I think that angle poise, poise might not be the most efficient. I feel like torches have been used for that. Like people have been mm. bludgeoned with torches, albeit not usually to death. 
What like a like a like a flashlight like as a the Americans flashlight, would say. As the Americans would call oh, okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Cuz when you say torch, I think, you know, I have my Dungeons and Dragons hat on. I think you mean like a flaming stick. Right, which also Why would has that be your first thought when you I play a lot of RPGs. I don't know what to tell yourself. Like you think torch and I think, "Oh, is it is it going out?" Like because like, oftentimes like like the original Dungeon Master, the FTL game Dungeon Master on the Atari ST and the Amiga, there was a whole oh, big thing where you'd have your to- and your torch was always always be burning down the torch. It's very annoying. That I mean, oh, sure. Yes. Leaves you in the dark. I feel like right. there's a lot of use of uh, bags, carrier bags. Sort of strangulation. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's a bit grim. That's, but yeah. It's death bit, death by a bag for life. Oh, that's ironic. <laughs> that is a bag for death. Right <laughs> I feel like there's a reason why Sainsbury's don't market them that way. No. Again, Reusable though. Reusable. That is true. As a lawyer, <laughs> I can tell you it would be a bad strategy to market them that mm. way. A bag for death. Yeah. Yeah, it would be like lying to Parliament and then lying to Parliament about having lied to Parliament. Topical. That's what that would uh, be like. Yeah. yeah. We're going to go into the kitchen now. Now, obviously, mm. like saucepans have been used to beat people up quite yeah. a bit. I mean, down to Tangled. Um, corkscrew. Someone's been killed by a corkscrew. People have been killed yes. by corkscrews. And I've probably blocked them all out of my mind because yeah. I find that really upsetting. If people have seen the trailer for Evil Dead Rise, <laughs> well, you'll yeah. know that there isn't death by cheese grater, but there's certainly wish you were oh. experiencing it by cheese grater. Not watching that. Not so much so, it. they've made their little Twitter emoji a cheese grater, I believe. Oh, I noticed They're that. really leaning in to the cheese grater thing. Yeah. Hard pass. I think everyone who saw that trailer has gone, oh no, Ooh. I do not like it. <laughs> I I don't like it either. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not watching that. No, no, no to cheese graters. Mm. Uh, knives too obvious, and again, not a bludgeoning weapon. Toasters. <gasps> toasters. Scrooged doesn't actually kill him, but she does twat him in the face with a toaster. Yeah. Look, oh, Frank, you know, it's a, a toaster. toaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> anyway, I love her. She's amazing. Um. Yeah, any more for any more. Bathroom, any any bludgeoning weapons in the bathroom? Uh, I Toilet brush, rubber duck. A rubber duck, probably. <laughs> I, can't, I feel that at least everything has been used at one point in Gangs of London to murderise someone. Oh, that's true. true. Yeah, they've been pretty thorough. Yeah. In literally going around the houses. Almost everything in your house has been Ashtrays, those have been used. Yeah. Mm. And, and not just to give people, you know, smoking-related diseases. <laughs> um, oh, what else? What else? Has anyone been killed with... Anything that can be used to mend a car has also been used to bludgeon someone oh, to death. Yes. Like, yes, that's just definitely. science. That seems fair. Does anyone die from the enlarged salt and pepper shaker in Ant-Man and the Wasp? I mean, probably. We just I don't mean, see surely. it, do we? Yeah. I they think could be causing all kinds of havoc with the things that they're enlarging. Yeah, that's a Steady. very good point. Yeah. Oh, God. Gosh. God. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that is, I mean, those kind of like off-screen deaths we, we're supposed to just mm. ignore, are we? I think, I mean, the answer is probably like the the final scenes of gross point blank. There's a lot of that going on. There's, and, there's, there's, the, yeah. there's the frying pan, there's the TV, there's the fridge, all used as bludgeoning weapons. He killed, the pes- he killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. <laughs> he did. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we haven't got even got into spoons. Spoons. Ooh, I was ooh, just, ooh, I was ooh, there is no spoon, Helen. Uh, final Destination, all of the Final Destinations, everything has killed someone. Oh, that's everything. true. That's true. Dishwashers, knives, forks, spoons, sunbed. egg cups, sunbeds, lamp fit- fitments, hinges, door handles... <laughs> Soft furnishings, mm. hedgehogs. I don't know, but lots of things. Yeah, it's all yeah. like to get you. Yeah. Okay, so stay safe out there, people. <laughs> uh, good luck. Uh, and and really, just be fair, just buy pre-grated cheese. You know, then yeah. you don't have to have one in your house. Have you yeah. ever bought pre-grated cheese? Be honest. I'll be honest. I have. Yes. 
I hate grating cheese though because I don't really like cheese very much. I'm, I'm, I don't like touching whoa, cheese. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't like cheese. This seems like the kind of thing yeah. you should have asked her in the job interview, James. Come on. <gasps> I feel like I, this is... I, will, I like cheese on things like on a pizza, on a lasagna. But you won't just a like... Chef's, a cheese sandwich, no. So for example, if oh, you were at Helen's sandwich. house and she was, I don't know, making pancakes and there was, say, a bowl of grated cheese, you wouldn't, I don't know, eat the bowl of grated cheese oh, before she had a chance not. to put it on the pancake. Touching raw cheese freaks me out. I'm still angry about it. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but Wait, you were having like, cheese on pancakes? No, I was making like savoury pancakes and sweet okay. pancakes, you know. Okay. And and so I had the, the toppings for the savoury pancakes mm. to one side. All, all caught, I mean, I'd got gone full dealia. I had everything in bowls, like <laughs> ready to just ask people what they wanted and then make them a pancake mm. to order. It was going to be really fun. And James just stood there just eating all the cheese. <laughs> just eating it all. Just all of it. Jeez, no. I, I have a thing for cheddar, specifically level five, or if you can get it, level six mature Ooh. cheddar. Like so mature that you can, you, that it's got, you can feel the little lactose crystals in the in the cheese. Like like nothing about that sentence oh, I enjoyed. But. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, th- I feel like we're getting just just a scooch yeah, off topic. I just a tiny Cracking bit. cheese, grommet. I do have a couple more questions <laughs> I want to want to touch on quickly. Okay. Um, at Richard Stone one hundred, um, whose name indeed is Richard Stone, uh, asks. What John Williams scored franchises, I'm going to say films, would most and least have suffered if they'd been scored by a mediocre composer? Oh, that's Ooh. a very specific I mean, question. I think it's almost a good... all of them, but yeah. specifically, I think Star Wars has a fundamental problem if you don't have that score. Because that's Star Wars is, I and mean, I've talked about this many times, Star Wars is one of these things where it's a conjunction of the spheres, it's an alignment of the stars, it is everything working in tandem. It is, let's be honest, not the script that makes it special. It is James L. Jones's voice. It is Ben Burtt's effects. It is the ILM got in and you had the Dykstra camera and making those X-Wing fights look amazing. It is John Williams's score. It's, you know, the Foley artistry is absolutely flawless in that film. The production design, everything works in tandem, as you may be thinking a film should, but everything aligned in such a perfect way. I feel if any one of those things doesn't align, it doesn't become the kind of world-changing thing that it is. So that would suffer most. Yes. I think that's a very strong contender for most. The other one I think would enormously suffer immediately off the top of my head, Home Alone. Home Alone is an okay film that feels much better than that because it has a John Williams score. I mean... I can't... The, the Home Alone score doesn't come... I couldn't nor me. think of it now. I'm not very good with scores, though, but... <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, okay, okay. I think most Spielberg films would survive. Well, I did, so George I, is an interesting yeah. example, though, because, again, that, that score is so synonymous so iconic, with that yeah. film. It's like yeah. a character in itself. Yeah. yeah. Like, if, if it has, like, a little plinky-plonky score, I think that film has problems. Mm. I agree. Look, I mean, it's an incredible score and it's an incredible film. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it is a, an incredible enough yeah. film. It's well-made it regardless. Could, it, could, it could survive, mm. you know? Yeah. Whereas... Um, and like something like Schindler's List, I think would 100 yes. percent survive with a different yes, score. I agree. Um, ET though, e. I don't e. know. That's a good. That's a good question. That is a good question. God, this this does feel like blasphemy. If yeah. I'm honest, it really does. But I think that I think I think you're absolutely right. The score is absolutely essential to Star Wars. I think it's absolutely essential to Raiders. Yeah. Although um, I would argue that uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would be much the same regardless of who scored it. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's a no no score draw there. <laughs> But yeah, I, I just thought it was an interesting question. It is an interesting mm. question. Mm. Like certain things like, so, and it, like Gladiator, a lot of the Horner stuff, Titanic, Alien stuff. Like, I can't imagine those films with different 
yeah. scores because it's not just that they're integral to the mood and the themes and the kind of texture of the film, but the emotional provocation of those scores. Like they elicit certain feelings from you that I think if you shift that score up, then the emotional balance of that film shifts in a completely different direction. And then like, what is that film then? I don't know. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've if people. You don't often get the chance to, to to hear both sides, to hear a different score. The one example I can think of is Troy, where Gabriel Yared's rejected score is on YouTube, and for my money, is more interesting than the one they went with. Um, and that's a, that's a really fascinating, you know, what might have been mm. kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, these 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 scores get so caught up in our in our understanding and our, our emotional impact of a film that it's. It's very hard to imagine them without it. Mm. Yeah, and to and, like separate them and as you say, imagine what a different one would be in a different way too. Or if someone else was cast, you can kind of see their face. You can put them in the in in the film, but trying to think of a different score, that's quite hard. But, it's like, but what does a score do, right? Because I yeah. remember someone said to me, well, you know, a score is there to not be noticed. It's there to fade into the background because it's all atmospheric. And actually, I think there are certain situations where that Sometimes. can be considered mm, true. true. Yeah. And I always find it really interesting when you have something like The Wire, obviously a TV show where it's diegetic music. It's all background noise. There's no score. There's a soundtrack. Yeah. It's all just environmental. And it works perfectly for that kind of the verite style of that show. But... You know, it's like a truly great score for me. Well, in cinema, TV, I think it's slightly mm. different. But in the cinema, a truly great score is something that soars and manipulates your emotions often in a way that you don't fully appreciate in the moment and just like really gets you in the feels and mm. frankly does a lot of heavy lifting to compensate for other shortcomings. Yeah, and it can give you emotions. It can enhance or or sometimes subvert emotions yeah. of what's happening on screen. Mm. Add to, comment on what's happening. Um, we'll talk about it when we talk about Dungeons and Dragons mm. next week. But I think the score in, in that case is really witty and it's actually playing against and <laughs> playful playing scores. with yeah, some playful of the stuff score. that's happening on screen. Um and then you have the big soaring, you know, operatic epic scores that are making even the smallest, you know, bits of the story still feel part of this epic giant mm. whole. I'm, th I'm thinking of things like Hard Shore's work on Lord of the Rings mm. and more recently Bear McCreary's work on Rings of Power. I think they're both, again, part of a musical piece, but they are reminding you the whole time this is... This is part of a, a whole singular story that is massive. Yeah. And I don't want people to think, just because I, I wasn't saying that TV, it's not important on TV, Bear McCreary's job work on Battlestar Galactica, oh, incomparable. Incredible. And you look at The Last of Us, and I've said this about the games The Last of Us, Gustavo Santoala's score for that is almost inseparable yeah. from the story. It's so integral to it, and it it, it can it sort of continues largely unaltered, I think, in, in the show. But there is, and I'm not going to do any spoilers for The Last of Us, so don't worry, but there is a sequence in the final episode of The Last of Us, an action sequence, where instead of using the action music, they take a more somber piece of the score from the scene after it in the game, and they transpose it over the action, and it is transformational yeah. to mm -hmm. the emotional content of that sequence. It's an incredibly shrewd, really subtle change, and it works brilliantly. Yeah. Which is an excellent segue into the Last of Us spoiler special, which you can still get oh, on Pilot TV Plus, available now for one ninety nine a month at empireonline.com slash pilot TV. Well, that's killed that, hasn't it? <laughs> My God. Uh, if you would like to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, of course, get in touch with us. Really, just do it via Twitter. We don't check all the other avenues, if I'm honest. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or just wait for a panicked shout out from one of us on a Thursday morning, which is, let's be honest, usually what happens. Okay, it's time to class these proceedings up a little bit, and that is with a man who will always be Lovejoy to some of us, but who these days is also famous as Al Swearingen, the most well-named man in TV history, <laughs> as Winston, 
and as Mr. Wednesday in American Gods. It is, of course, Ian McShane, who is cooler at 80 than most of us can manage at half that. And he spoke to Chris recently about John Wick Chapter 4, where he once again plays Winston the manager, who people keep calling Mr. Manager, so I like to think that's his surname. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) here is their chat. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of John Wick Chapter 4 and all the previous chapters with John Wick, the great Ian McShane. How are you? I'm all right, Paul. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Are you jet lagged in or do you get... No, I, I find it not bad. It's going the other way that gets me. I'm fine this way. I mean, got in last night, just got had a cup of tea, watched a bit of television, watched my team get heavily defeated, which is not good. So I went to bed. Well, uh, I... <laughs> Talk about football. No, I, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't no, want to bring it up. No, I know, I know. It's one of those things. Anyway, I, here we are, bright and bushy tail talking there we about go. John Wick. I, yeah. I just happened to end to be a massive red. So <laughs> yeah. I'm buoyant today, whereas... <laughs> You're perhaps not the other way, but that's fine. We're going to leave football to one side for the time being. That's, as, as Alex says, bloody football. <laughs> <laughs> it was squeaky bum time, that's for, that's for sure, yesterday. But when you come when you come into a hotel, I was just thinking today, when you walk into a hotel now as a result of this these movies and this role, do people give you preferential treatment? Do they, <laughs> do they think this guy knows? No, they ask for any tips. <laughs> Any tips, Mr. McShane? Yes, perhaps you could do this. Perhaps you could change this. No. It's funny, isn't it? To think we did this movie, the first one was back in 2013. It was a, an independent, I mean, small, maybe you say small now, yeah, $20, $25 million independent movie made in New York, which was a really tightly written, good movie by Derek Colstad with lots of good actors in it. You know, you had Derek, you had... Uh, Alfie and Michael Nyquist and yeah. Willem Dafoe and yeah. Adrian Pilatsky and whatever. And suddenly, a year later, they go, oh, film's coming out. And they go, oh, we'll make another one. You go, oh, really? But before you know it, you're on your fourth one, and here we are. <laughs> but I don't think they would have um, had the same impact unless Chad had directed all four of them. And Derek had written three of them, and Shay had. There's been, a, I think, the great, the good thing about it, there's been a continuity to them. Yeah, and it's not just a question of repeating. Like it's not the same movie as number one, two wasn't the same as number one, three. What they've got, the world has got bigger, more complex. I mean, the world they built within the movie, mm-hmm. and they've kept the characters pretty constant and changing. I mean, you still don't know if Winston. I don't think is really a. Is he a good guy? I know what I think, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but is he on John Wick's side or is he not on John Wick's side? Yes, he is. I mean, the beginning in this one, I think you think he is because something in the first 20 minutes really happens, which turns Winston's life upside down. Yeah. I mean, I think in the other three, the first three, he's been, you know, John's gone through it and Winston is, is trying to help him out, trying to work it, check, trying to tread the fine line between the high table and whatever they want, kill John and John because he's his favorite assassin. And there's, um, and I think the films have a, the best of a lot of old school, like Westerns, like, you know, I mean, John is like the most wanted, <laughs> like they up there, you know, like wanted dead or alive, John Wick, you know. <laughs> it's black no, hats. No, it is that though. It's I mean, black that's hats and white is. hats. all the yeah. time. I mean, they come out of the woodwork, $26 million. It's a play on that. Mm. And then there's also a certain amount of, you know, respect between assassins, which is, I think, a rather charming part of the show when they all seem to be honored to die. 
Yeah. Fighting John Wick because he's the acknowledged sort of Baba Yaga, the master of the of the genre. Yeah, there's there's a and, wonderful uh, you know, warrior code warrior, the warrior that runs code. All, all the way Agakuri, through the films. Yeah. Yeah. Agakuri. Chad has been the steward of this of these movies. How has he changed? Because he's very interesting about how he has changed as a director. Well, I think Chad is a is a student of uh of all martial arts. And he's a student of uh, of movies since he started directing Second Unit back before before John Wick. He directed Second Unit before that, and I think he's you know he's looked at all the great movies of the of films like Sergio Leone, of Jean Pierre Melville, of the great sort of you know the which was actually created. I mean that whole world of of uh, French movies of the 50s and 60s look back to the great film noir period of America, you know, which was the 40s, mm-hmm. when all those directors made those great movies, which I love, in the for- late 40s, which came after World War II. A lot of those directors cut their teeth on, like, noir movies and what they call B-movies. Some of them aren't. Yeah. You know, they're not B-movies, but they're called B-movies because yeah, yeah. they're black and white and they're sort of, Tight script, tight little thrill. That's what John Wick one started out as. Yeah. And luckily we've had the fortune for Derek Kolstad, who wrote the original, to build on his world and then to be not replaced, but to taken on by Shay Hatton, who's written, you know, written extra scenes for three and four, and also came in and has written Ballerina, which is the, if you like, the sort of fifth version of John Wick, but is a retro version set between John Wick 3 and John Wick 4. So John, so Keanu's in it, I'm in it, Sharon's in it, and um, the great character of Jan- Angelica Houston's in it because the ballerina comes from mm-hmm. the ballet school sequence. Yeah, we did that movie last year, number five, with uh, Anna de Armas, who's terrific. That's amazing. Back in, uh, in Prague. They've just finished, I think they've just wrapped it. But uh, no, I get a kick out of seeing John Wick, but I've, I've always, I've, always, I've never gone to a screen before i mean obviously you see it when you do adr and you see it when you do certain other things but they asked me to i said i want to see it on the big screen with all the bells and whistles on it because i know basically what it's going to be like you know (laughs) (laughs) do you consider uh this this franchise and this role to be one of the great unexpected gifts of your career and i guess in the way that al swearingen was i think they all are i think keanu was saying the same way too for him I mean, there's a coming together at a certain time. Yeah, for, for me, yeah, it's a great character to play Winston. Um, after Swearingen, after, like, if you want, you know, let's, I mean, I've played a few. I mean, I've, oh, you know, the character in American Gods, Odin, Mr. Wednesday, and then you've got Winston in this, and then you've got Al Swearingen in Deadwood, you've got Lovejoy, mm-hmm. other stuff. Yeah, I've been, just, yeah it's been a, been a hell of a trip. <laughs> it's been a hell of a trip. Does Lovejoy still come up uh, a lot? Oh, they talk about it. I mean, I remember somebody, yeah, they talk about, um, you know, I mean, I wasn't interested in doing another Lovejoy. I mean, mm-hmm. but they said to me, but and I, I have a certain idea. They did it again. I mean, I know how they could do it. I mean, they haven't been able to sell it. I think somebody's got the rights. I always think they should make it a woman now. That's one the legitimate thing. Yeah, Lovejoy had a daughter. They should make it the daughter, the woman. Um, there was some script they'd written a couple of years ago, which sort of was like, but it was just a typical sort of action adventure story, making Lovejoy a sort of a sort of cross between, you know, sort of James Bond and Alan's Titchmarsh, you know, which I didn't think was, 
I think was exactly the image you were looking for. Anyway. Yeah, you say that at the end, I want to see and that. that's always better to Alan, but I mean, yeah. like, you know. If James Bond was good at gardening, that's what I want to see that. <laughs> Don't you want to see James Bond doing gardening? I should have said James Bond and whoever's hosting Antique Roadshow these days, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> that's about, nor, nor do I know these days, but uh, but I would love to see that if, if that happens. But uh, you mentioned there that you, know, you, you are incredibly 80 years old. So you've been working now for oh, yeah. how long have you been working now as a, as an actor? I did my first movie when I was eighteen. Uh-huh. Nine was I eighteen? No, nineteen. The Wild and the Willing. Yeah, I made about a hundred. I don't know, hundred movies, hundreds of hundreds of hours of TV. Yeah, yeah, not bad. What was the uh, the movie, or maybe the actor that got you inspired, fired up to act in the first place? Because you, you you were talking about loving movies growing up. I never, I I never really. Th- Thought about being an actor. I mean, I was a normal kid. I'm kid. I was a suburban kid in Manchester, living. And my dad played for Manchester United. I went to Stratford Grammar School, right opposite the ground. So I played football as a kid. I was nothing. I didn't have any spectacular talent. And my dad wasn't one of those. You have to play football. You know, he wasn't that kind of a dad or whatever. I was a typical school, you know, schoolboy. You do everything. You went out, rode your bike, normal, whatever. Past the eleven. 11 plus and mm-hmm. whatever going with, then I did a play at school and I got cast in the part. Of like, I think we did, we had this very progressive teacher who was the geography teacher, you know, and the, you didn't have drama teachers. I mean, those days it was like, it was everybody mucked in, you know, the geography teacher did the makeup, somebody else did the sets, and everybody joined in in some way for the school play. And they did this very progressive play called Nikrasov by Jean Paul Sartre. It was the first amateur. Yeah, we had it, and this guy, this teacher who influenced me enormously in my in my uh in my early in my early in my early kind of school days when I was like 13 14 and then Leslie Ryder who his name was and he then said like I'm going to do a play we're going to you're going to do next year you're going to do um in 15 we're going to do uh Cyrano de Bergerac I said fine can I go off and play football now I said thank you very much indeed <laughs> so next year we did Serrano and that was what, that was really kind of it it kind of was a very, a very for a school production, but was sort of well heralded. It was like they wanted to take it on a little tour, or whatever, but we couldn't because I was, I went on tour with the youth theatre. I joined the youth theatre that year and went on tour with Michael Croft and the National Youth Theatre to do Julius Julius Caesar in blue jeans in Italy. Wow, wow. playing a first citizen. <laughs> but I mean, I, I never, I was my, I wasn't theatrical. I mean, it was just things happened. Then I came back and I worked in Lewis's with made a bit of money. And I went to drama school. I went to RADA. And then I booked a year and a half at RADA. And then I got offered a movie called The Wild and the Willing. So I left RADA when my, my last, before my last term, because yeah. Johnny Hurt, who was my closest friend at drama school, was already in it and suggested me for this part. They couldn't cast the, the sort of lead young, rebellious 18-year-old university student who seemed right up my street, you know? So, um, yeah, so I took a Green Line bus to Pinewood and auditioned for a movie. That was (laughs) 1962. (laughs) I know it took a Green Line bus. Uh, The studio, I'm fine. I'm here to audition. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, so then I got the audition. So then I had to tell the drama school that, you know, I didn't I didn't actually go to the dentist, sir. I lied. <laughs> I went to a film audition and they've offered me the part. It's so, all coming out now. So and the, the reply was, we might not give you your diploma. I said, what the fuck am I going to put on my, I can act? 
a diploma put on my thing? No, they were very sweet. <laughs> I've still got it on there because the diploma was signed by Sir John Gielgud, who later I had in the like one of the last episodes of Lovejoy. Sir John, and I said, he's so happy to meet you, Sir John. And he said, oh, yes, oh, dear boy, it's lovely to be here, Lovejoy. <laughs> You did sign my Abrada. Did I really? Oh, my darling, it's good to be here. So, yeah, I've got... <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Jesus Those Christ, that's amazing. Of, yeah, I mean, you're reminded all the time of your, you know, your career and your life. It's like, you know, going off, going off to America in 1974 because, you know, you were tired of being here and having... Actually, you know, it was 75, yeah. But having black... People forget. Blackouts, <laughs> nothing. I mean, it was it was blackout strikes, whatever, and you decided to go to America for a year and see what it was like, and then suddenly a year turned into two years, and before you know, I was you know living another life. I got divorced and whatever in there, and then I was living back and forth, back and forth, and that's where it's been ever since. Go back and forth and work, and I got married again in 1980, and Gwen and I. Mm. So I've lived back and forth ever since, and my kids are here, very close to them, and it'd be lovely to take them to the premiere, and the grandkids, take them to the premiere tonight, you know? They love it. <laughs> they love they it. were moaning the other day, we haven't been to a premiere in many years. I said, you spoiled little brats, how dare you? How dare you? You're going to John Wick. Enjoy it. <laughs> my God, I can't believe that you did Sartre and Serrano de Bergerac at at school, essentially. That's that's wild. I mean, my school plays were the real Inspector Hound, which is still stop art, but you know, and and Oliver. No, we did There's it a big was difference. A really, no, no, we had, it's just I think it's the teacher you get. Yeah. I mean, he was Leslie was one of those. He was a big influence. Without re, it took place over such a short period of time. We did Nekrasov, and then he said we're doing this next year, and then we did Serrano, and it proved this sort of like a local hit, you know, in like Manchester, and they were thinking of taking it on a school's tour of like whatever, and um, and suddenly you know he, I remember he met with my mum and dad. I mean, my dad did nothing about theatrical life, and he organised with my mom and me to go, you know, for, for to go to RADA, audition for RADA. When we're coming down, mom and I came down on the train, 1962, and I went into RADA, did the audition. Then we walked out and came down, went to see uh, went to see the matinee of West Side Story. I've ever, I was like, wow, is that my, oh, wow. I'd never been in, I'd never been in a theater before. Unless it, uh, uh, yeah, oh, I lie because, no, two years before, Doing O levels, we were taken to Stratford to watch, you know, the Hamlet, the, the, the Hamlet you're doing at the, I mean, the yeah. Shakespeare you're doing at the time. Yeah, so yeah. we were taken to Shakespeare to see, uh, and that was quite something to go to Stratford on Avon and see. I think it was Michael Redgrave doing Hamlet. That's not bad. If I remember. That's not a bad start. Well, it's the most beautifully spoken Hamlet. You should understood it, you know. <laughs> I mean, the fact, the fact that Michael Redgrave was about 60 at the time playing Hamlet, they made no difference, but it was... No, I mean, the world has changed now. You know, you look at it the other day, I'm seeing there's a, you know, there's a... There's a female Othello going on. Uh, there's a... I mean, well, the fe yeah. Fe no, a female um, Merchant of Venice. Uh -huh. I mean, the, well, no, it's, it's everything's changed, but that's it. I've got to let you go in a second, but... Um... I can't let you go without asking about one show in particular no. that you did. I am a massive Columbo fan, and anytime I talk to someone who was lucky enough to be in a Columbo, I have to ask him about it. You were in an episode of Columbo? Yeah, with Pete. Yeah, Pete. Well, that's why I did it there. Well, way back in, when it was about 30 years ago, wasn't it? About that, yeah. Yeah, it was the, the last series, and they said, would you like to do it? And I said, yeah, I hadn't seen Peter for about... Because Pete, he made a guest appearance in a movie we did 
if it's Tuesday, this must be Belgium back oh, yeah. in 1968. Yeah, yeah. Um, him and John Cassavetes, they were doing some film in Europe, and I met them briefly. Um, but yeah, I wanted to make Falk. Falk was great. He was just great. Terrific actor. Have you ever seen his um, his Oscar speech? On YouTube? You should. I think I have. Maybe the best Oscar speech ever, like he was. I was in here last night, and I had to drive in, and uh, excuse me, sir, are you, am, I, am I here right now? Uh, <laughs> no, it's one of the best Oscar speeches you'll ever hear, because he was where what he is, um, marvelous actor, yeah, funny guy. No, we were. I, I remember particularly because we were doing the scene in a graveyard, and we were talking about life, and he's going, Ian, you know, and he said, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. And, but look, 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 look where we are. And we looked down and we were both standing either side of a grave, because we were filming in a graveyard and it was Art Tatum's gravestone. And he looked down and he said, look at that. The music may be dead, but the melody lingers on. I said, perfect. <laughs> and that's a perfect way to end it, I think, don't you? That's a perfect the way to end it. The music may be dead, but the melody lingers on. Amazing, amazing. And what an impression, by the way. That may be the best Peter Falk I've ever heard. <laughs> he was a lovely man. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Ian McShane. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, time now for some movie news. And this week, I think we should start actually with uh, a piece of John Wick connected news, which is the very sad news of the death of Lance Reddick, yeah. who passed away at the end of last week at the age of just 60, um, just before his turn in the latest John Wick film. Mm. Um and this is a guy who turned to acting quite late. He, he trained originally as a musician, um, couldn't really make ends meet, wasn't really finding sort of commercial success that way, decided to retrain as an actor. God help him for thinking that would be more commercially successful, but so it proved. Um, he got a, a degree from the Yale School of Drama, no less, yeah. and went on, of course, to have his big break in The Wire. He did. Uh, where he played Cedric Daniels to... Utterly brilliant effect. I yeah. don't think I'm being too hyperbolic. Oh, he's there. incredible. It's, he's incredible. It has a very, very strong case for being the the greatest TV show ever made, and I think he has a strong case for being one of the great performances of that. Well, let's just stop hedging. I think he's a case for being yeah. the greatest performance. He's in that. he's amazing. He is genuinely amazing on that. Also, he had this amazing textured syrupy voice mm. they did a lot of voice acting he uh famously destiny he's yeah. in that video game uh and he's in the horizon zero dawn games of silence because he had such a wonderful voice i loved him in the wire uh, i love him in bosch as the brilliantly yeah. named irvin irving uh the chief <laughs> in bosch but he's, he was just great he had a screen presence which is really hard to pin down mm. but it was just like he stuck with you even in relatively minor roles anytime he turned up on screen yeah. you're like now oh, we're gonna have a good guy. time he's a scene stealer yeah. an yeah. absolute scene stealer and by all accounts a genuinely lovely man yeah. as well uh absolutely tragic to lose him. Uh, I was absolutely gutted by this. Yeah, me too. I, I think, I mean, especially because we were all excited about seeing him again and John yeah. Wick and, uh, and you know, 60 these days is is no age no at all, age. I think. So, so yeah, I mean, extraordinary work as well. I know some people who, you know, mostly associate him with Fringe or with Lost, yeah. both of which he did very good work in. Um, he was very, very much in demand there after The Wire as well he should have been. Never really had the maybe leading man kind of roles that perhaps his, his talent would have warranted. Um, I think his acting icons were the likes of um, of Daniel Day-Lewis and Meryl Streep. And, you know, he didn't maybe follow them to, to big, big Oscar bait kind of roles. But he certainly had the talent for it. And his the work that remains is, is I think, astonishing. Just that sense of kind of reserve in a lot of roles. You could always tell there was stuff going on underneath, but without yeah. him doing a lot on mm. the surface. 
I'd also say like he was uh, he was in the West Wing actually he played DC police officer so not a large role Uh, but he's obviously mainly known as dramatic actor Mm. uh, and he's not really known for comedy however I I implore you to go on the internet and Google Toys Are Me which was a funny or die skit he did it's about five minutes long and he is absolutely laugh out loud hilarious in it like comedy genius I suddenly think we've been robbed of this amazing comedy actor who was never given the chance to play a lot of comedy Uh, Mm. but genuinely watch it it's brilliant yeah. Absolutely inspired. Awesome. He's also um famously one of the very few people to to make Eric Andre quake in his boots on, yeah. on Eric Andre's show. There was that That's clip was going time. around this week and yeah. it was pretty amazing as well. Um so yeah, so a very sad goodbye to Lance Reddick, who passed away at the age of sixty. Well, speaking of sad goodbyes, but on a slightly more flippant note, thankfully, um Lindelof, Damon Lindelof is out of his planned Star Wars movie. But fear not, because no sooner was he out than they had replaced him with Stephen Knight. A dark Knight. A dark Knight swooped in. The busiest uh, man in showbiz. Genuinely, Stephen Knight, Stephen Knight is when writing so many things at the moment. It's not even funny. Uh, it, he has so many projects on the go. He's got the next season of SAS. He's got so many projects in the works. He's a really prolific writer and also mm. a great writer. Obviously, most famous for Peaky Blinders and my beloved C <laughs> on Apple TV Plus. Oh boy, uh, there you go. There we go. Uh, but that sets like a sci-fi precedent, which. Like, it does because his range is just incredible mad. incredible from Peaky Blinders to SAS like origin stories to period dramas to he, he yeah. can do anything he can do everything recently he wrote Great Expectations for the yeah. BBC like he's an incredibly nuanced writer and he he has this like his his process his method which I find fascinating when you get screenwriters who are pantsers mm-hmm. where he just sits down and makes this shit up as he goes along and yet they come out like they do like he's yeah he's incredible love is him is that and, his method yeah he, he has no idea like you say oh how, <laughs> what, how was Peaky Blinders going around he's like didn't know until I got there. Made it up as I want. Here's his process. I've talked to him about this quite a lot. Is that he gets to know his characters so well mm-hmm. that he feels they're real people and he feels that they almost shape the scenes around them. That knowing the characters lets them write their own story. Right. Uh, and that's how he does it. He, he like he gets really in the heads of the characters he creates mm-hmm. and he lets them talk to him essentially. So a character-led Star War, you're saying, yeah. is what we can expect yeah. from this. I think that's okay. I, well, think I think that's good. That, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm a little bit concerned as to what's gone on here behind the scenes. Mm. It sounds like there's been something messy yeah. happening once again in the Star Wars camp, which has not yeah. been... I, I love Damon and Love as well. Yeah. Well, him. I was going to say, yeah, like as, as exciting as Stephen Knight is, I think it's quite sad. I was quite excited at the prospect of yeah. Damon Lindelof. I mean, I loved his work on Lost. I love Watchmen, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just quite intrigued. I'm, you know, I'm starting to... Love Star Wars. I didn't. I didn't until fairly recently, but I. I was really intrigued by what he would bring to it. Mm. And I don't know. Do I feel less excited about Stephen Knight? Maybe a smidge, just because I think well, I don't know I'm what to expect. Because he's just so like. Well, yeah, you genuinely don't know. Yeah. I don't think even he knows. He has no idea where it's going. No, he's going to find yeah, out. He's going to find <laughs> out. 100%, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's not the only thing because we're going to get from, we're a dark night coming to Star Wars to dildo fights in Star Wars because the Daniels uh, yeah. are going to be doing Skeleton Crew. Well, they already have, haven't they? This, this is kind yeah, of well, yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen it. But, but we yes. haven't, we, yeah. We, yeah, we didn't know until recently yeah. Um, because, uh, yeah, they, they had to kind of clear it up. Like, we have not just won an Oscar and sold out. We sold out way mm. before. No, I mean, we but did this way before. It's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. I'm yeah. just saying dildos, lights, Sabers, basically the same thing. Again, your obsession with dildos is weird, and and also I feel like <laughs> lightsabers are a, where lightsabers are a very different thing and should be used in a very different manner. I mean that's fair. So, but if you're bludgeoning people to death, I'm saying they work. 
I, I, again, just maybe don't bludgeon people to death. Just, okay. You know, just putting it out there. It's, just good, it's good life advice. Running it up the flagpole, seeing if it yeah. waves. Um, flagpole could do it with that as well. Oh, boy. Anyway, I was going to add, by the way, I hadn't finished. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, carry on, Helen. Charmaine Obeyed uh, Chinoy is still on board to direct this mysterious Star Wars film. So, you know, there has been some continuity there, but it does sound like some shit has gone down. Mm. But uh, but yes, no, so so the Daniels uh, directing for Star Wars is exciting. Yeah. It's going to be good, I think. Different. And they are also working on their own original next thing, which yeah. is even more exciting, because presumably that will be super duper weird. Mm. And I'm here for that. What is happening? I'm quite excited at the prospect of David Lowry's next film. Well, not next, because he's got Peter Pan, right, coming out soon. Um, but he news broke this week that he's doing an A24 pop pop music drama thing. Yes, with this is fun. Anne Hathaway is a, a pop, pop star. Yeah. Into that, first yeah. of all. 100%. And then Michaela Cole. Yes. Um, as... Who is she? She's like someone who likes... She's a fashion designer, isn't she? A right. fashion guru with whom the, the pop star has some kind of... No, they said... I think they've they've kind of worded it oddly, haven't they, in the release? Potentially. This is... Uh, yeah, this is Mother Mary yes. uh, with Michaela Cole and Anne Hathaway. And, um, and yes, it is supposed to be Anne Hathaway's pop star is entangled in a relationship with Michaela Cole's fashion designer, but... And it's described as an epic pop melodrama. <laughs> but I am... Like some of the stories have been have been kind of tiptoeing around what kind of relationship this is. Is, is this mm. a sort of you know Law Roach and Zendaya kind of you know oh, yeah. professional relationship? Mm. Is it something more personal? Um, we don't yeah. know yet, but um, I would guess probably the latter. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, that's what my mind went to. I think with mm. it, a lot of people immediately jumped to that and were like, "Yes, into mm. it." I'm just worried people will be disappointed if that's not what it is. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be intriguing. But well, either way, I mean, that's a lineup of people that's pretty intriguing, yeah, pre- pretty exciting. I think. Well, yeah, and Lowry's always kind of on the more somber end of things, right? So him to be in this sort of poppy world feels mm. quite an interesting conflict of things um i couldn't mention this story without mentioning the fact that some of the music will be produced by jack antonoff mm. and uh ben travis's fave charlie xcx hey a staple in the empire office um so which sounds like you know there's going to be some bangers in there there's gonna be some bops that sounds pretty that sounds pretty good and we know that hathaway can sing because she won an oscar for it basically she yeah did. you know so um plus that video of a Dancing to um, Lady Marmalade. That was yes. On. She can dance. She's triple threat. This is going to be amazing. Yes. Ten out of ten. No notes. <laughs> okay. What else we got? I very much enjoyed the new Coppola film this week. <laughs> Just you know. Let's explain that, that. Let's explain that to people because this is not news. <laughs> let's be honest. We do have some news to go through, Wait. but we we should take a moment. Is this is about the TikTok. It's about the TikTok. This oh my is... god, everyone! James Dyer is on TikTok, it's and true. now he's referencing TikTok. I know. I'm all about the talk these happening? days. I did. This is absolutely true. So I tweeted about this last week. I downloaded TikTok for the first time, and ended up seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes, as Morpheus might say. And frankly, it's scary as shit. Uh, especially because <laughs> when you when you like, if you are a, like a TikTok noob like me, mm. it learns the algorithm dynamic as you go so if you spend more than two seconds watching a video of like a squirrel your timeline is then exclusively squirrels from then on like it's it's absolutely wild it doesn't but, stop it never stops doing that it's, oh, really, it it's really frightening it's frightening well, I found, but it's too good because it's like alright yeah. I don't want to watch everything about the same thing well everything's Taylor Swift from the era's tour for me at the moment <laughs> I've discovered Taylor talk and that's taken over my timeline but I did discover this the Coppola talk yes so yes. let's explain this is go Sophia on. Coppola's yes. daughter whose name is 
Romy Coppola, mm-hmm. apparently tried to charter a helicopter on her dad's credit card to take her to have dinner with a friend and got grounded for this. I can't understand what a terrible overreaction by parents to do that. Uh, so she got grounded for trying to charge a helicopter. She is not allowed public-facing social media. So she's not allowed any... So, but she's thought, fucking in for a penny, in for a pound. I got busted on the helicopter. So while grounded and alone in the house, she did a TikTok of her <laughs> making pasta sauce with vodka and not knowing the difference between garlic and an onion <laughs> and, and basically throwing shade on her parents. And it's genuinely the greatest couple of things since the original Godfather. It's extraordinary. I... I encourage everyone to see it. She yeah. has since deleted the talk because I think her parents got home and frankly bollocked the shit out of her. But it lives on on Twitter. You can still find it. The only thing is it ends, as all good things should, on a cliffhanger. Because she, she hasn't actually made the pasta Yeah, because she hasn't made the pasta sauce. And so the whole point two. was, she got was like, come two. back for, and, but we're never going to see how this story <laughs> ends unless it gets a theatrical release and we find out how the vodka yeah. pasta sauce went. Well, no, penela vodka is a classic pasta recipe. Like, is just it? to be clear. Oh yeah, penela vodka. Yeah, I didn't even know this. tomato sauce, the vodka pasta and it brings like the the sweetness of the tomato. That's kind of mm. the, the chemical ah. theory behind it. Um, but you do have to know the difference between you know garlic and onion. <laughs> I feel like in order to make it well, I do think this is this is an incredible film in the Coppola family tradition, but not an incredible pasta dish, which is not in the Coppola family no. tradition. Yeah. Remember everything we know. Yeah. So yes, uh, that that is a thing that happened this week. Hey. Which brings me to more Nepo baby news. Well, I was about to say, she's not allowed to have social media because her parents don't want her to be a Nepo baby. That's true. Said famous Nepo baby, (laughs) Sophia Coppola. It's it's the third generation where the trouble always kicks in, isn't it? No, uh, there was Nepo baby news this week because Michelle Dockery has signed up for a a debut director who is making her first film. Uh, That film is called Please Don't Feed the Children. It's a psychological thriller set after a viral outbreak has ravaged the country's adult population and a group of orphans head south looking for a new life, uh, only to find themselves at the mercy of a deranged woman harbouring a dangerous secret. That's presumably Dockery. Right. Um, But the exciting thing is that this is directed by Destry Allen Spielberg. Yes, Destry is riding again. She was due to make Four Assassins and a Funeral, uh, which is apparently still bubbling away in development. And she's also made a short film, Let Me Go the Right Way, which apparently um, was co-written with Owen, son of Stephen King. So, um, yeah, Nepo Baby's all over Nepo the shop. Nepo everywhere. Is, you know, apparently it's a, it's a good short film. People are excited by it. It's not just the family name that got her the, the assassin's job and now this. So, fingers crossed for her. We do wish her the best, even if she is a Nepo baby, right? Well, speaking of Nepo babies, we've got a, a film out this week by yeah. a, yet another Nepo baby, who is one of my favourite directors at the moment. So, What's let that? Nepo babies direct. It's Infinity Pool. Of course. That's true. And we have, we have famous... Nepo Baby Jane Fonda starring in another of this week's films. I mean, they're all Let over Nepo the shop. Let Nepo Babies live. <laughs> Let them direct. <laughs> that is true. So, so anyway, uh, yes, uh, the the Spielberg dynasty, I guess, as it as it now is, begins with this. Also in the news this week, uh, Rolf Saxon from the famous hanging in the air scene from the very first Mission Impossible movie is going to be back for Dead Reckoning Part Two, which is kind of cool. He was the he was the you know he was the schlub he was the office dude who was just doing his job yeah as as you know Tom Cruise is hanging in the air oh, above him okay. and trying really hard not to sweat and he's going to be back in in the final in the final one that's I nice I like that too. I think the that's nice full circle it? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's one of those character actors anytime he turns up you're like oh yeah I, that guy I mm-hmm. like him that guy mm-hmm. from that thing yeah 
So this is this is good stuff. This is good stuff. They've they've released a picture. He's got a full beard now. You know, it's gonna be cool. <laughs> um, and apart from that, what have we got? There's been some Shazam fallout this week. Mm. There were mm. suggestions that a more exciting post credit sting fight, fight, fight was nixed by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I who mean, didn't want anyone from his Black Adam Justice League to turn, Justice Society, I apologise, to turn up at the end of Shazam. Yeah. In a post-credits And wouldn't thing. allow Shazam in his post-credits. Get out of my credits, Shazam. Yeah. I'm not sure that would have made the stings any better. If anything, I, I, mean, I might have knocked a star off. <laughs> I do feel like they could have maybe looked at the way the world was heading and thought, Maybe we don't do any stings on the basis that anything we promise no. right now is not guaranteed. You yeah. know, I don't know if if Peter Safran and James Gunn had the chance to sort of sign off on these post credits. If this is something that they're like, yeah, that's something we might want to bank for later, or if this is something that's completely independent and sort mm. of precedes their their tenure. But it does seem like it's a it's another weird loose end just just yeah. around the. DC I like. I liked Black Adam more than I expected to like Black Adam. I mean, no huge shot there, really, is it? But uh, I, I, but genuinely did. I and I quite enjoyed the Sting. And actually, the thing about and I mentioned this in the podcast before, the thing about Black Adam that that, that bothered me the most mm-hmm. was the use of the word Shazam because I felt tonally it just <laughs> didn't fit the tone of the film at all because it's just so stupid. And so I, I actually don't think having Shazam in the end credits would have worked tonally. So I'm kind of with The Rock on this. However, The Rock be feuding left, right and centre at the moment. And I'm, you know, oh, no. I'm, I'm very much, well, you know, with, with, you know, family, with like Vin and obviously now with Zachary Levy, although frankly he could take both of them, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm always Team Rock, but at some point, if you're feuding with everyone, as Taylor Swift once said, "Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me." It could be him. It all comes back to Taylor Swift or him. <laughs> I've always said so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm never Team Rock. I find him really boring. Oh. <gasps> oh, come now, come the, now. Can I just say the 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 volume of hot takes you have dropped on this podcast so far have been quite extraordinary. <laughs> That's not. I've said that on this podcast before. You're anti rock. Sure. I reviewed Red Notice. You're more of a. Like, oh, more well, of Red a... Notice was a bad film. Though. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. anti rock. You're more of a paper person. Yeah. Scissors. Or maybe. scissors. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no, Watch no, out. Rock beats scissors. Yeah, rock beats scissors. It would have to be paper because no, paper, paper covers rock. <laughs> lizard bites Spock. <laughs> yeah, lizard Spock bites. This proves something. I don't know. Anyway. Scissors decapitates lizard. Yeah. <laughs> I did used to know that. I don't rock, know. Paper, scissors. Lizard, Lizard Spock. Spock. Spock yeah. disproves something. What can he disprove Scissors? then? <laughs> oh, he can disprove the paper. Right. Oh, maybe. I feel we've got Scissors. sidetracked. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Speaking of feuds, I have so many segues. You have. You have. You are on this. Victoria Alonso, uh, who was head of post production and Ooh. various other things in a very long time at mm. Marvel, mm. has has left, been fired. There have been differing reports on the exact means of her departure. We don't know why. We suspect it's to do with the recent bad press that Marvel has been getting about its uh, relationships with VFX mm. houses, and more to the point, the recent bad results of those VFX yes. in something like Quantumania. Quantumania. Um, but there's been pushback, hasn't there, about maybe this isn't the reason because some VFX people have spoken out and said we don't believe this to be the case. I read uh, what, what yeah. I'm saying is I read an article on Variety that basically said that. I read the same article, I think, and yeah. I, I think there's a there, look. I'm always wary where there is a problem, and then a woman is let go and made the scapegoat for that problem. That said, 
She was a very powerful woman at yeah. Marvel, and it is entirely it was within her purview. Post production is specifically within her job title, so it may be that she is, you know, a large part of the reason why things have been less than ideal mm. recently between uh, between Marvel and VFX houses. Um, but yes, the, the fact remains that this is a very prominent, very very long standing Marvel executive and leader who has left the studio, and so there are. Signs that all may not be quite right um, in the house that the Avengers built mm -hmm. right now, and and whether this is the beginning or the ending of changes, we don't know. But um, but yeah, it it seemed worth for once commenting on some businessy kind of news because I feel like that is a major. Oh, it's a big one. It's, it feels it feels seismic. Whether or not we as end users will will sort of feel it in terms of their output, it's hard to say. But... Well, it's she's one of those names that you just expect to see along with Kevin Feige. You in just the credits, expect to yeah. see produced by Victoria Alonso and yeah. so and I think that article said something about Feige couldn't really do anything. He had his hands tied. It was very vague. Who's tying Kevin Feige's I hands? I don't know. His hands are untieable. You'd think so. You'd think so. But look, look. I mean, it, it's certainly Disney, if you like, or Marvel, if you prefer. Someone has made a decision, and uh, this very senior uh, Victoria, uh, and this very senior executive is out as a result. Now um, we can only hope that, for the sake of all the VFX workers who have been putting in extraordinarily long hours for sometimes no extra pay uh, will will find some benefit from changes that are happening whether mm. that's to do directly with her or not but um, certainly the, the situation has not been ideal in that respect recently so fingers crossed for that Okay, is that enough news? Has anybody got any more news? Are there any more TikToks that you'd particularly like well, to discuss? James? Funnily enough, what, what it, else have you discovered, James? Uh, well, on I the discovered internet? the bit, the bit in the the era's tour where she dives into the quote unquote swimming pool and swims across the stage. Is done with a little pad and a train track, and she gets pulled underneath the stage, and it's like a video. It's very clever. You see it? Okay, I mean, I, I wasn't. I'll be honest. Really, sincerely asking for more Taylor Swift. News. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I was amused to see the TikTok trend of putting her lyrics to scenes from um, the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Ooh, so, this yeah. is new. I, this has go. not come up in my Taylor Talk feed. That's Well, it's in my Twitter feed. You, oh, so I need to find this. Keep scrolling and you know. you'll get Yeah, I'll get it eventually. eventually. <laughs> oh, good. This, this sounds like quality content. There we go. That is the news, apparently, that matters this week. God help us all. <laughs> All right, it is time for another guest and we have yet another treat for you. Alexander Skarsgård broke through um, as, of course, Eric the Vampire in True Blood after a brief turn in Zoolander. Orange really, really good looking. Frappuccinos. <laughs> just want to say I friggin' love True Blood. I I, he's great in True Blood. Oh, anyway. True Blood is so porny. Like, so anyway, excessively I mean, you're porny. You're saying that like it's a criticism. Anyway, <laughs> since then, he's gone from strength to strength, playing big manly heroes in things like The Legend of Tarzan and The Northman, and shithead losers, frankly, in <laughs> Diary of a Teenage Girl and Passing and Big Little Lies mm. and so on. And I think I'm right in saying he's in the latter mode in this week's Infinity Pool. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, but it's a boundary-pushing film from director Brandon Cronenberg and Nepo Baby, as discussed. <laughs> um, so we sent along Alex Godfrey to ask him about the experience. Please enjoy. How's it going? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How you, uh, how you doing? I'm all right, thank you. You are in a very nondescript area. I'm in a, in a weird, strange... Uh, room in a in, in in some wing of this massive hotel uh, it, you're not about to be cloned are you the clone is right behind me right <laughs> i was I actually i was actually you. given the clone i have it at home uh, do, let, okay hang on hold, hold that thought 
let, let me start this off uh, more formally. Um, but it's good to see you, Alexander Skarsgård. Welcome to the Empire podcast. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. This film does involve cloning, um, a very dark cloning process for very dark reasons. But there are there are more than one of you, let's say, in this film. But you, you, were, you were just saying that you, you have one of them at home. Well, the, 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 in the first cloning sequence, um, I don't know if you remember, but, but when my character walks into this weird um, control room and sees the clone for the first time, mm-hmm. the clone is, is, is on this um, bench surrounded by some red goo, like red slime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... And uh, I was given that clone as a gift from by the distributor in, in North America. And it's basically a, a prosthetic of my head in red slime. And I don't have it yet. It's at the office in New York. So they're going to I just don't know where to put it. Like, do I hang it on the wall? Do I keep it in bed next to me? Do I? Leave it in the fridge to scare. Like I don't know. <laughs> you take take him out to the shops because it's quite disturbing. It, I mean, it's very lifelike and um, very dead. <laughs> so, uh, I'm yeah. I'm still. I'm. I just got to figure out a good place for it. Did you request it? Did you did you want to live with your clone forever? I, I did not request that. They gave it to me, and I was overwhelmed and and a bit disturbed, but also aroused. <laughs> so they they didn't want it. They said, "Please take yourself with you." They have so many clones because that like there's there's full body ones, and then the face, and then the face split in two, and because of all the weird in the dream sequences. Yeah, um, there's also a six foot penis. <laughs> uh, so I think maybe for obviously I haven't explained for, for people listening to this what the film is yet, but I think um, even without doing so, people might be getting the gist of <laughs> the gist of what sort of experience it might be. Yeah, yeah, and they, there's lots of fun memorabilia that that the listeners can buy. Have you got the six foot penis? I don't know where the six foot penis is actually. Um, I'm going to ask Brandon is in the ne- in, in in the room next to me here, so I'm I'm going to ask him. We actually so we have the, the the European premiere at the Berlin Film Festival tonight, and I'm yeah. I'm going to ask Brandon if I can take the six foot penis as my date to the premiere. <laughs> I look forward to the uh, promotional photography. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård steps out with mystery guest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, actually, because last time you were promoting this film at a festival, uh, I believe it was um, Sundance, and, and at some points there you were crawling around in a dog collar. I'm quite uh, disappointed to see you not wearing such equipment today. Yeah, I don't know how that came about, to be honest with you. It was a very late night screening, and we'd been out to some bars before the screening. And then I showed up at the, the premiere, the red carpet, and I believe one of the journalists had brought a, a, a leather collar and a leash. And, of course, I had to throw it on and start crawling around on all fours. Of course. And what else are you going to do when you say that? 
it would be great to have that tonight, actually, because we're again, we're in Berlin and it feels like the perfect place for um, a little S&M bonding, bondage. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure um, you won't have problems getting a dog collar in Berlin if you need one. I think we can find something for tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find something good. So, yeah, let, let me explain. Infinity Pool is written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, and it's about a couple, one half of which is you, you're, uh, James, who is, let's say, a struggling author. They go to a very fancy holiday resort, and uh, I don't want to get into spoilers, but let's just say a lot of shit goes down. A lot of bad shit goes down pretty quickly, and it's very graphic on just about every conceivable level. Um which is sort of one part of the film. But the thing that really got me is the emotional brutality. You know, it is emotionally disturbing and psychologically really, really, really tough on your character. You know, regardless of all the the hardcore sex and the hardcore violence that we see in this film, what happens to your character and the way it happens is so nasty and so shocking. And um, I don't think it gives too much away to say that civilization is sort of gradually peeled away from him as the film goes on and i think that's what really got to me and the film is wild and fascinating and funny it is darkly funny but it is genuinely upsetting i came out of the screening that i went to with some of my colleagues and i was a bit shell-shocked by it and i've said to them and i've maintained since that it is no other film since my childhood has upset me in the way that this one has. I'm still trying to put my finger on it, but it has genuinely scarred me um, in a deep way. You know, not 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 like seeing a horror film and being scared by it, but being emotionally traumatized by it. And I wondered what your experience of, of that was. Did it upset you at all, of reading it, making it, watching it, or were you too close to any of it to be affected in that way? It didn't really upset me, and that 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 troubles me. I should probably talk to my 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 shrink about that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I was just like happily walking away from that shoot, going like, "Oh, that was great." All right, now what? Because <laughs> um, like because it is a, a, a psychologically a very very dark, disturbing story. Um, I was, I think I was. I was just so excited to get to play a character like James because the journey he goes on is so fascinating. Being confronted with with your own mortality, the way James is in the film, is um, in, in such a literal way like he is in the movie. He's actually witnessing his own execution, the execution of, of his clone. Um, yeah. Really was haunting, but... but and. and deeply fascinated me i was so curious to learn what would that be like for james to watch that um what would his connection to the clone be like how would he feel when when he's watching this execution how does he come out of that yeah um, and, and what does that do to him and to his relationship with his wife and because they have very different reactions to 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 the cloning um and, 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 to, and to your point, when you start to strip away uh, his connection to to, to society, um, and you get you you reach into a more, a more primal, more atavistic state, um, 
that that transformation was so thrilling to me and to go on that journey with with Brandon Cronenberg and, and, and the rest of the cast was um just so so exciting to me um that that I I um it really was one of the most fun shoots I've ever been on yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And it, we had a lot of fun shooting it. It's Brandon does. He loves prosthetics and effects, and he wants to do everything in camera as opposed to visually in post. So um, all we were always wearing um, all the cuts, the the, 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 the the executions were done on set as opposed to in post where you can just nowadays you can just put some green dots. And then yeah. you make it look great in post, but it was fun to have that kind of tactile quality that we were playing around with it on set, and it was um, really exciting to be able to see what it would look like when people yeah. watch the movie while shooting it. So, so it, yeah, it yeah it it, it really wasn't. Um, I thought I'd be way more traumatized walking away from the shoot than I was. I it, it maybe it was cathartic in a way to yeah. to, to 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 crawl up in a fetal position and, and howl a primal scream every day. I'm sure it was. I'm sure many psychotherapists recommend recommend it. The the actual cloning sequence itself is pretty trippy. Um, what was that like for you? What what is the liquid that you're stepping into? Was that just some of red ooze on set what was it and what was the sensation like for you because it's it didn't seem like it would it was kind of like red slime yeah and the the cloning process was great we shot it in this old abandoned um power plant outside of budapest in hungary Mm -hmm. Um, and it looked like it was abandoned sometime in the mid 60s um but all the machines were still there. The control room you see in the movie is the actual control room of the power plant. Um, okay. Wow. And you would have like old furniture and paper work on the floor and a desk somewhere. And it it just like was this incredible, incredible structure. Um, and, 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 and that was quite thrilling to have that, that it, that it was a real set as opposed to being on a soundstage to be able to walk around in this, very, very weird, brutalistic structure. Um, yeah. And it, it, I think it added a lot to that sequence. Was it as uncomfortable as it looks wearing that um, mouth restraint? Is there a name for that thing? I don't even know. It's like a dentist thing. Um, it, it And it wasn't that bad, actually. <laughs> I, I <laughs> It's like my retainer now. I sleep with it every night. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, I mean, did you? You're naked in that scene, and you're covered in ooze, and you're wearing that uh, restraint. Do yeah. you feel vulnerable in that situation, or is it just part of a day's work? You know, it's coming up, and you just get on with it. I was just so excited. I thought the scene was so funny, so I was very, very excited um, to shoot it. And they had cast the women. They cast the women who told me to take my clothes off and what to do and put on the the hood and, 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 and that kind of mouth. Yeah. And they were so well cast. They were so perfect. They, and so deadpan in their delivery. Like this was something they did every single day. It's not a big deal. You're just going to get cloned. 
<laughs> and it felt so rudimentary. And so, which also was something I loved the fact that like Brandon visualized this in a way that felt um, not futuristic. It's not a high tech facility with really cool, sleek white machines and glass and, and steel. And, and mm. it, it felt very old school. Like they would just like, attach a hose to something and then like a weird generator started pumping and that was the cloning process. And um, so, yeah, even though I was standing there in a, in a, yeah, swim cap and, and, and a mouthpiece and um, no clothes on it, I, I didn't really feel vulnerable. I was just kind of thrilled because I thought the scene was so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When I, I last spoke to you a, a, a year or two ago for the Northman, Towards the end of that conversation, you said that that film, obviously that was a very intense film. It took a lot out of you. And you said it was a tough act to follow. And, and you, I'm just reading the quote. So you told me that a lot of the parts that you might have responded to before that, you weren't feeling anymore because that one was so intense. And you said you feel a bit lost. And you, I think you said, I don't know where to go from here. And I guess this is where you went from here. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense because the Northman seemed like an extremely one-off physical intense experience but then this just takes things albeit in another way to to another level so i guess it needed something as insane as this to follow up that yeah and it also a very different tone and a very different character and that excited me um, obviously james towards the end of the movie becomes a bit more primal um yeah but in the, the the James in the beginning, he's way um, less proactive. If you compare it to Amleth, the, the the berserker I play in, in the Northman, who's um, um, incredibly violent, uh, very high level of testosterone, and um, and very primal and feral. Uh, yeah, it was exciting to go play someone who. Uh, was diametrically opposed to that as someone who's as 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 um, been beaten by life and has no self esteem and doesn't believe in himself and yeah is not proactive but reactive and who will just follow Gabby and her gang blindly and do whatever he's told and 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 someone that you can manipulate rather than someone who is manipulating and that was that that excited me that felt like um a bit of a departure from after the northman yeah you followed the northman up with this from from one extreme to a, to a different extreme where do you go from here P please don't tell me that you're gonna try and be even more extreme the next time along because i would worry about you no next up will be just a sweet basic rom-com um <laughs> You know, one of those where, where where the leads are like leaning against each other on the poster and doing thumbs up. We're like, look at this guy, this fucking guy. <laughs> one of those. I need a I need a proper palate cleanser after all this mayhem. Yeah, maybe we just graffiti a dog collar onto it and exactly. Else in <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Alexander yeah. Skarsgård. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, take care. I'll talk to you. Okay, time now for this week's film reviews. And let's start with the highest body count. So 80 for Brady. James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. Do Wait, James has watched 80 for Brady. I have watched 80 for Brady. <laughs> 
What's your point? Do you actually want me to start with 80 for Brady or do no, you want to go for John Wick? Okay, kidding. fine. Let's fine. talk about John Wick. Let's talk about John Wick Chapter 4. This is the return of Chad Stahelski's John Wick saga, which stars Keanu Reeves as the man himself, the Baba Yaga. He'll kill you with a pencil. Uh, this picks up after John Wick 3, you know, conventionally, uh, where we've seen that he's been pushed off a roof by Winston. He's on the run again. Uh, being helped by Lawrence Fishburne's The Bowery King. Uh, and that's essentially where this film goes. I think all you really need to know about this film is this. He's on the run. The high table is after him. He's going to kill a whole bunch of people. He's trying to free himself and redeem his name. That's, broadly speaking, the entire plot of this film. It is not what I would call a plot-heavy film, but I don't think you come to John Wick for plot. Uh, Lance Reddick is here again as Sharon in one of his final roles. Clancy Brown is in this one yes. as the Harbinger, which is very exciting. Bill Skarsgård is a big new character as a member of the high table, the Marquis. Uh, and this one obviously features Donnie Yen and uh, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada's in this as well. Uh, and Shamia Anderson as well, who plays a nice, a sort of a new assassin character. So those are broadly speaking the major players. But like I say, this isn't a film you come to for the plot. Like, I've summarized the plot. That's the whole plot. That is the plot of the film. It is not a plot-heavy film. It is, however, a two hours and 45-minute film. It is a long film. And so you, think, you might be saying, James, I don't understand. If this film has no plot and it's nearly three hours long, what happens in those three hours? And let me tell you, he kills the shit out of, as Gary Oldman might say, everyone. Uh, so many people. So, so many, many people, people die in this film. It is insane. And... Is it too long? Yes. Yes, it is too long. It probably should be two hours, two and a quarter. You could lose half an hour easily. And actually, I think it probably would be a better film for it. But despite that, I think this does a few things which are genius. I think it has a lot of action in it. That's an understatement. And some of the action sequences are better than others, but some of them are amazing. And mm -hmm. each one of them has a unique visual identity, whether it be there's one in uh, in Japan, which is very sort of neon lit, lots of silhouettes, lots of sort of bright lights. There's one in a nightclub with a water motif. There's one that takes place in traffic, which is almost like nothing I've ever seen mm -hmm. before. There's a fight on a staircase. There's a top-down <laughs> fight where he uses dragon's breath shotguns, has to be seen to be believed. Uh, there are so many things, and I think it's to Chad Stahelski's incredible credit, that every single one of these fights feels completely distinct, has its own unique flavor, its own unique feel, and while on a couple of them, action fatigue sets in a little bit, they go on a little bit too long, I think that's unusual. And I think certainly the ones at the latter half of the film, you are so swept up by the action and you just think, how does Stahelski and his team choreograph this shit? How does Keanu Reeves, who is 10 years older than me, do this shit? It's... <laughs> extraordinary and it is so much fun and I just it's it's like it's like ballet it's like art if violence were an art form which in this film it kind of is John Wick's art is death exactly John Wick's art is death uh, there are also ballerinas in the John Wick universe right yeah. but it's just there's so much going on here I think my criticisms of it are this so it's gorgeous it's beautiful the action's amazing my criticism would be it's A too long and I think while they do build out on the mythology a bit I feel that they don't build out on it in interesting enough ways. I think it could have brought more of the Wick mythology to life because each one has kind of upped the game a little bit more and I think this maybe didn't in that area. Um, I think it's better than three. I think it's worse than two. But that's a that's I like a, a wild opinion. This is the first you think one. it's better than three. I think it's better than three. Yeah, oh, three I, three I for me. Three, yeah, yeah, three for me is the the weakest. I love them Same. all, but I think it's the weakest of the series. Yeah. Mm. Two, one, four, three. I'm I've been I've been one, two, three at this point until now, okay, and, okay. and suddenly I'm not going linear linearly. I think it might be one, four, two, three for me. 
One, one has a purity what? to it. Yeah. One oh has God. a purity. But I think oh, yeah. two is the first one where they go, they properly embrace the batshit mythology, mm. which I love too so much, also I wasn't set. But, uh, so, so two is my favourite, but one is definitely my second favourite. Mm. How about you? I loved it, but also didn't love it. I found it weird to look at this as a film, to be honest, because... It's sort of these, the action is incredible. It's, you can't explain how incredible it is. I'm watching it and I'm thinking, how, how did they do this? <laughs> is Keanu Reeves okay? Um, <laughs> is anyone okay? I don't understand how any of this is happening that I'm watching. It's that good. The the overhead seats yeah. shot, I was like One take. jaw open um, when I was watching it. But I feel like the film is empty except for that. And maybe that's the point and that's fine. I enjoyed watching it. But I feel like John in this film is a, is a non-character. In, and I know that that's kind of his vibe. He's like, you know, he's just... That's kind of Keanu's vibe in, in hey. this, these roles. I, do, I don't believe that all the time. But John, you know, he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't say a lot. He's a strong, silent type. But there's just nothing to him here. And when... There's so much action, but also when the action's not happening, I was just so I was just so bored and I just wanted action to be happening because the rest of it is just really weak to me. I <gasps> think the characters that they bring in, like Donnie Yen's incredible. He's incredible. Incredible, incredible. Bill Skarsgård, not so much. Terrible French accent. They are a lower, low level accents in this in this film. I'm I'm a be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. And I just somebody felt... literally says, "I'm gonna say this only once at one point." Like, I'm not kidding. It's it's there. And... The fallen Madonna with the big boobies can actually be seen in the background <laughs> in several sequences. Um, She's too young. She doesn't know what we're talking about. I know. I give you a laugh, but I'm not really sure what it is. Um, anyway, and Good I just moaning. because of that, I just there's big big stuff happens in this film that. And I felt like I was awed by it, but I didn't really care about any of it. And in the past John Wick films, I have. And so I just sort of struggled with it. It just became like a video game. He's just like a robot. You're just watching an avatar doing this action, which is great. But then it's so, I found I, it really hard to judge it. I don't know. I think there's, there is one scene where he is emotional. I think there is a really emotional scene for him. But I, I think you're right. We could have had a bit more of that. I would yeah. have seen, I think that in the, the, the opening scenes with Shimazu, who's Hiroyuki Sanada's character, when, when, he, when he meets up with him, I feel like there could have been a bit more of an exchange of here's where I'm at at that point. It would have made sense for that character to yeah. have had a, a, more of a conversation than they have time for at that moment. And I would have liked that. I th so I think you're right in that sense. But I didn't think it was unemotional because I think you get real emotion from from Winston this time. You get a real emotion from the tracker, actually, from Shamir Anderson's character. Um, mm. You get real um, emotion from Rina Sawayama. Yes. Who, oh, Rina Sawayama, who is actually... Outstanding. She's in this. very good. Yeah. She, this is, she's a major, yeah, major, major pop star making her, obsessed I think, film music. debut. With this. Yes. Yeah. She's doing in, very well. She's incredible. I just wanted more of her as well. I was mm. sad when she didn't. There she's is. She's not in it as much as you wanted yeah. to be in it. Donnie Yen's cane, I thought, was absolutely. No, I'm not talking about He's his one with character. The force and the his with character him. has a cane, but I'm talking about him as a character. Kane is unbefrickin' leaveable. Yeah. I mean, it's not unbefrickin' leaveable. He's Donnie, Donnie Yen, Yen, obviously. Mm. Yeah. But like, just just to see him, just the the, the way he moves, the smoothness, yeah. the fluidity, the fact that he goes from A to B without passing through any of the points in between, <laughs> even at this age, is just <laughs> astonishing. And he's also a very funny character. And he also has, again, I think there's emotion there. I think there is, yeah. there is some, there are some real stakes for him in this. And I think that 
played really well and I really enjoyed basically every time he was on screen. I thought he was absolutely a scene, a scene stealer in this and, and really did well. Um, Bill Skarsgård, you know, he doesn't get enough to do. What he does do is wear an extraordinarily good selection of suits, all of which oh, were glittered, yes. so you know I was into them. <laughs> oh, my God, those are incredible. But uh, but yeah, he doesn't get enough to do. But also, as someone who lived in Paris for a year and has been back practically every year as a tour guide, when I moonlight as a tour guide, seeing the, the a couple of the Parisian fight scenes, now one of them is in the trailer, that's the one around the Place de l'Etoile, which is the giant roundabout around the Arc de Triomphe, it is dangerous at the best of times <laughs> if you're in a bus. <laughs> to see an action scene set there is one of the most audacious, incredible things yeah. I've ever seen. I I was basically screaming and clapping my hands in delight the entire way through it. And then the one that follows that also in Paris, just like just mm-hmm. just bow down before them. It is that's that place is like that anyway. And then you have assassins coming at you. Fuck yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> 100%. 10 out of 10. No yeah. notes. Amazing stuff. So I, I really did love that. Um, I have more to say about some of the Parisian geography, which we'll hopefully get into mm. in a spoiler special um, next week. By the way, the Empire spoiler specials also going strong at the moment. Mando coming out every week. Lots of ones being updated regularly. So this do keep an eye out for those. Um, and subscribe if you haven't already. But... Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just love this. I think we were a little ungenerous. I this agree. Night. I think you may be on board. Sophie. I think I. Well, yeah, Alex gave this a three, and I think I'm probably there Alex, as well. enemy of joy, Godfrey no, gave it a three. No, just the mix of stuff going on. I no, I, I would. Uh, I'll yeah. be honest. I would go four as well. I, I would think. go four with this. Yes. Superb, superb. I have stuff. to say the amount that Keanu is doing, and you know it's him doing it because yeah. you can see him doing it, and there's no there's no cutting away. It's just pure pure action, and it, I was watching it and thinking. We we know this already, but Keanu is doing for this type of action what Tom Cruise has been doing for stunts. Yeah, they're in the same level. Like the, I think so too. The sort of the pioneering work that he's doing, it's incredible. And is he okay? I I hope he's okay because he was at he was was at the premiere, I believe. He was at the premiere. Walking, yeah, seems fine. Walking, talking seems okay. Okay, no obviously broken bones. Don't uh, hurt him. Yes, he is our unproblematic fave, and uh, and that is John Wick Chapter 4. So we as a magazine gave this three. I personally am giving it an extra star. I'm and just I sign the star. So, uh, so there we go, John Wick Chapter 4. Now on to, uh, we've gone from Bill Skarsgård, let's talk about Alexander Skarsgård, let's talk about Infinity Pool. Sophie, I have been running scared of this film, I'll be honest, I haven't made, made time to see it yet, because there was a choice of seeing it at 10am on Monday morning, and it just didn't seem like a 10am no. on Monday morning film to me. Tell me when I should see it. You should see it at the, at the earliest opportunity, Helen, because I ran towards this film. Um, so this is Infinity Pool, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of David, who also directed Possessor a few years yeah. ago, which I friggin' loved. Um, that was that was a five-star for me. I absolutely adored that film. This is quite a different beast. So, yeah, it stars Alexander Skarsgård. He's an author who is on a very luxurious holiday with his wife, M, played by Cleopatra Coleman. And he's trying to find inspiration to write his second book. And he meets um, Gabby, played by Mia Goth. This is the month of Mia Goth. She is like a fangirl who has read his book. And they have this kind of... She's quite femme fatale in this. They have quite an instant chemistry. And she sort of... She leads him astray, basically. And... Yeah, I reviewed this for us and in the trailer, it, stuff gives a lot away about this. About There's like a central conceit, which is about body doubling and cloning. And I don't really want to say any more than that because I went into this basically blind. 
and enjoyed it all the more for it. I think the trailer gives a lot away. But what follows is essentially a kind of wild ride looking at um, the uber wealthy and um, accountability and um, hedonism and all sorts. And it goes into some really twisted, very strange places. There's lots of psychedelic imagery and bloody imagery and all the stuff that you want from Brandon Cronenberg. But it's compared to Possessor, which was so dark, this is generally just like a good a good time, even though it's very twisted. And maybe I've just got a weird tolerance for these twisted things. But it's kind of a ride. It's very funny in places. There's a bit near the end with Mia Goth just yelling at Alexander Skarsgård, which if you've seen the picture of her with a gun in the car, she's just yelling at him in her high voice. And it's truly hilarious. I'm obsessed with it. Me and Beth have been yelling, yelling at each other in the same way for the past few weeks <laughs> since we've seen it. There's genuinely funny moments, like darkly comedic moments, but also just genuine dark moments. And um, yeah, I had real fun with it, but... Um, Gird your lions. If you've got a bit of a weak stomach, maybe think about it. But um, it's great fun. Alexander Skarsgård, he's really in his like, he impresses me so much in how he taps into this alpha male energy, like in the Northman. Mm -hmm. And then he'll come into this and be such like a beta loser (laughs) vibe. And But he has the presence that would, he just like changes his energy so well with those things. I mean, I was looking, I was just, you know, writing his intro this morning. I was just looking back through his films, making yeah. sure I wasn't forgetting anything really obvious. And he absolutely seesaws back and forth between yeah. these utter he-men and these genuinely contemptible, like, weirdos. Yeah. And like goofy and, yeah. you know, but he's such like an incredible physical presence. But, um, and he's he's just really great in this. So yeah, I had a great time. You, your mileage may vary if you don't like weird, <laughs> twisted things. But yeah, I gave this four stars. Four stars then for Infinity Pool. Um, although if you have an Infinity Pool, that's a yeah. five-star experience. So well done <laughs> you. Uh, James, come on. It's the one you've been waiting for. It's 80 for Brady. It is 80 for Brady. This is a film that I have to be said, I was quite weirdly excited for. And I think mainly because it's got Lily Tomlin in it. It's got Jane Fonda in it. It's got Rita Moreno in it. It's got Sally Field in it. (laughs) On a road trip to see the Super Bowl. So instantly, it's a five-star film. Except it's not. Because this is directed by Kyle Marvin, and it's a weirdly regressive throwback, almost 80s for Brady, kind of 80s slash 90s caper road movie trip, whereby whereby this bunch of sort of 80 adjacent people, Sally Field's character is keen to point out she's only 75. And actually, <laughs> Rita Moreno points out she's 90s. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair uh, she's 90. Yeah. Jesus. Which is wild. But they are all in love with Tom Brady, who is the quarterback of the something-something Patriots. <laughs> New England Patriots. Sure, why not? Yes. And uh, and they want to go and see him at the Super Bowl because he is a thirst trap. That's basically the setup of this thing. There's more going on. There are some stakes and some health issues, and one of them may or may not be around to see the next Super Bowl. Uh, but the idea is that they win some competition tickets to go and see the Super Bowl, and they go on a road trip there to see it, and hijinks ensue. Now, this film is at once incredibly predictable and basic <laughs> and utterly fucking mental. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Because that's true. I, to it's the point weird, where I true. actually paused this a couple of times and went back and went, what just happened? Because 
it's just, I don't want to give stuff away, but Guy Fieri involves himself what? in this film. And Diners, drive-ins, and die. <laughs> as insane as you think that sounds, nothing prepares you for how insane it is. Sally Field eating hot wings, there are drugs involved, there is a weird dance-off to get in to a stadium. <laughs> there are hijinks, misunderstandings, incredibly predictable things. There's an incredibly laboured joke about a strap-on, which is set up very early on and pays off just as horribly as you would think. It's, I mean... There's, it's, there's fan... In fact, there's slash there's fiction. There's slash fiction yeah. in there. Yeah. It's just... It's so odd. But it's it's <laughs> just, as John pointed in this review, he was like, he's like, it is violently weird. Just like the whole thing is just so peculiar. But also really first base and a bit lame. Yeah. Mm. And so it's the thing, you get to the end of the film and you're like... This is not a good film. This is objectively not a good film. This is a two-star film. And yet it's quite good-natured. Oh, and yeah. I mean, like, it feels like kicking a puppy. To kick a little film. bit. So, like, you feel bad <laughs> saying it's a terrible film. Yeah, it's a, and John let's not... Wick would come for you right. also. So, you know. <laughs> it is a terrible film. But you feel bad calling it a terrible film. And Tom Brady, bless his little socks, can't act for toffee. But, <laughs> and did I enjoy this? No, no, I did not. No, but, but like, I was, I was like, <laughs> I was like interested the whole time. I was like, yeah. what weirdness are they going to come up yeah. with next? Oh, look, they're now having hallucinations of Tom Brady talking to one of them. That's a thing that's happening. Right? Why is that happening? Is that, is that, is that, it's what? like riding some kind of rodeo bull thing where you, you're kind of not enjoying yourself, but you have no literal idea what's going to happen from one minute to the next. And there's okay. a strange fascination in that like a car crash and you can't a look away. A bit like that. It's a lot like that. But you cannot look away. You really can't look away <laughs> because you're in the car and you're heading towards something. <laughs> yeah. I, I Yeah, I agree. It's it's just so weird. And, and so much of it is this by the numbers, oh, you know, someone's on a road trip, like somebody has to look after something important and you're like, well, that's definitely going to get uh -huh. lost, isn't it? And then that's going to cause problems, isn't it? And, oh, this person's going to come in handy later, isn't it? And, and you can spot Everything, everything is telegraphed. Everything is coming a mile away. And yet then there'll be these weird things that make no sense at the same time. And it's such a bizarre, head-churning mix of utterly predictable and utterly insane. Anyway, we gave it two stars, but it's kind of like, I was talking to John about it, and we, we felt like it was a warm two. Mm. It yes, is but, like, but emphatically a two. Not a high two. <laughs> Not a, like close to a three. It's a but tussle a, its hair and say, oh, you, you little rascal, <laughs> you're two stars. You try, bless yeah. you, aren't you nice? And and look, the, the, the four leads remain legends in their own lifetimes. So mm. fair play to all of them for, uh, well, frankly, for taking part at this point. Uh, okay, Sophie, you had another one uh, you want to talk about briefly that's on movie this week. I did. Well, it's a it's a movie release, but it's in cinemas. Right. Um this week and it comes on movie in in a couple of weeks maybe like May or something I'm not sure but it's called The Five Devils it's directed by Leah Mischius probably pronouncing that wrong um, it's her second film and it's like a it's a French supernatural kind of drama about this young girl Vicky played by Sally Drame who is an incredible little child actor um, who has this superpowered sense of smell and oh. um, she's very very clingy and attached to her mum, Joanne, played by Adele Xarchopoulos, who you might recognise from Blue is the Warmest Colour, who gives an incredible performance in this. She's like very sort of stoic, very powerful. Um, and Vicky, who has this incredible sense of smell, is like 
concocting the perfect scent of her mum and things like that. She has little jars that she puts things in that smells of her and stuff like that. This sounds a bit perfume. It's, it's, it's a bit worrying. It's all of this. This is where the eeriness sort of comes in. And um, basically, uh, Vicky's aunt, Joanne's um, sister-in-law, Julie, comes back, who was ousted from the community for something that happened in their past. And that kind of unlocks this new level of Vicky's power. And um, yeah, I really liked this. It's uh, it's kind of slow, but it's really beautifully shot and soundtracked and has this kind of witchy vibe that just feels very compelling and draws you in. And the performances are really, really great. And it kind of turns into a bit more of a conventional thing by the end, which I kind of wish it had leaned into its weirdness a little bit more. Um, but like 80 for Brady. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not enough Guy Fieri, that's what you're saying. Yeah, more Guy Fieri in The Five <laughs> Devils. But um, yeah, so, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, I've just reviewed it today and I gave it four stars. So that is in some select cinemas this week. All right, four stars then. And another film that will be on TV in a couple of weeks, uh, this time on Sky Cinema, but is in cinemas this week, is A Good Person. Yeah, just for a study in contrast, James. Oh, burn. <laughs> yes, indeed. A good person. I, I got up early this morning to watch this. Um, this is the new film written and directed by Zach Braff. Now, it has been a long time since Garden State. It's been nearly 20 years since he wrote and directed Garden State. Obviously, he has written and directed since then. He did uh, Wish I Was Here. He's directed Ted Lasso, which mm-hmm. I think he got nominated for an Emmy for. Uh, but this feels like the first time he's recaptured something of the emotional core that people loved about Garden State. So this is the story of Alison, played by Florence Pugh, and she is involved in a car accident at the beginning of this film, at which point her sister-in-law... To be. uh, Her sister-in-law-to-be, yes, and her husband die. And so this is a story of her grief, her lapse into addiction, and her whole life kind of falling apart in the aftermath of that. She becomes hooked on OxyContin. She uh, ends up weirdly befriending the father of the girl who dies in her car, Morgan Freeman, who plays Daniel, uh, and the orphaned, his orphaned granddaughter, Ryan, played by Celeste O'Connor. So, it's not plot heavy. It's very much a character study, an emotional study, really, of the relationships between these people. And on paper, it seems A, very dour, and B, a little bit slight. Now, it is a bit slight, and it is also a bit dour, but there's something about this film that really resonated with me. I just think there's uh, there's something about the intricacy of those relationships. It's her, it's uh, her mother as well, who's played by Molly Shannon, and... Uh, the way she has this interesting relationship with Morgan Freeman's character, who obviously holds her responsible for his whole life falling apart, but he's a very troubled man himself. He's in AA, that's how they meet, uh, and he's dealing with his own demons with alcohol and sort of domestic abuse and whatnot, and so he's no angel, and I think so because of that, he's willing to extend her, if not quite an olive branch, at least a helping hand. And the relationship she then has with... Ryan, who for whom whose parents she essentially killed, is again incredibly knotty and complicated. And I will say, so the basic core of this, emotional core of this, really, really works. I think the plotting, which is good for the most part, has a couple of big wobbles as yeah. it goes along and feels a little bit, all right, we're doing this, are we? Fair enough. 
And that, I think, stops this. We gave this three stars. I think that stops this from being a four-star film. What I think about this, more than anything, is a three-star film with a five-star central performance because Florence Pugh mm. is transcendental mm. in this. She is incredible. The way this really earthy, gritty grump, she's just a ball of tears and snot for 90% of this film. But she's so raw and so believable. And you are with her and you're fascinated. The moments where Ryan has been quite pointed in her questioning and she's dealing dealing with emotional trauma, with grief, with survivor's guilt, with just regular guilt and substance abuse. And all of these things collide in this incredibly emotional performance. And it's captivating. I was obsessed. I tried to watch this while writing the script for Pilot. And if you're wondering why this week's or Monday's Pilot has no script and is utterly shambolic, the reason is this fucking film. Because I couldn't tear my eyes off it. I couldn't stop watching it. I became slightly obsessed with it. So I was four stars on this film all the way up till near the end. And then I was like, yeah, okay. The, the, the screenwriting could have been a little bit tighter in these periods. So it probably is somewhere. I might go between a three and a four. But either way, it is a five-star performance in a film that is not a five-star film. But I, yeah, I loved it. All right. I feel like that's just a trend with Florence Pugh, right? She, yeah. she does tend elevates to be, the material. Yeah, yeah, she does tend to be the best thing in anything yeah. she's in, uh, for the most part. She even made me like Amy in, in Little Women. You know, come on, the woman is a the woman is a magician. But yeah, she burned I, the book, Helen. She, she burned the book. The book. Yeah, but what about the limes, James? <laughs> anyway, um, no, she is she is absolutely phenomenal in this. I, I would agree with you. I think there were. I was mostly with it, even though it's. I think it's very hard to when you're telling an addiction narrative say anything we haven't heard before yeah. because that is the nature of addiction it is banal yeah. and repetitive and mm. just a grind and I think it's very hard to make an addiction narrative that, that kind of doesn't feel a little bit like that uh, and there are some moments in this where you're like oh come on you're you know you've got to know better than that mm. um that really were, were sort of frustrating even given her lack of judgment uh, you know as a result of all this so um so yeah, so there there were there were bits that did not sing, but she is phenomenal, and Morgan Freeman is uh, you know very very solid. Beside I mean, he's her. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's Morgan Freeman. That's all he has to do, really. <laughs> yeah. Just turn up and be Morgan Freeman. So uh, so yes, I don't think the official Empire review is up yet, but I would agree personally with that three stars, and the review should be up, I believe, in the very near future. Yeah. So check. That. I think it's three stars. I could be. I could be. Mis I'm pretty sure we gave it three stars. I don't genuinely know. So maybe we gave it three stars. We didn't. So I could be just um, in inventing a narrative. But I think it probably is a three star film. I'm not sure we have a review yet. We don't have a review yet. But okay, well, it, it could fall anywhere between a three and a four-star review. There you go. Anywhere between a two and a four. Anywhere between yeah, one anywhere and between a one and a five-star review. But I will say, I will say whether or not the person reviewing it who has yet to write it, Ben, uh, has given it three stars or four stars, I think you should watch it regardless because the five-star mm. performance means it's almost essential viewing even though the film is flawed. Wow. So I think everyone should watch this. It's on Sky. It's okay. a Sky original. Yes, but everyone's going to be busy with John Wick. Like taking up their they, entire you know, week. They can you take know. some time off. John Wick does end at some point. And uh, you could watch this then. Okay, well, that was a good person. That's the end of our review section this week. And fear not, that's not the end of the podcast because last but by no means least... It is time to talk to John Boyega about his film Breaking, which is the tense drama that won a prize at Sundance last year for its portrayal of a veteran who goes to extreme lengths to get the benefits that are his due. Um, it's anchored, of course, by a great performance by Boyega as that veteran. You, of course, know him from Star Wars Attack the Block. You don't need me to tell you this. And uh, we sent along our Chris recently to have a chat with him. So here is Chris Hewitt talking to John Boyega about Breaking. We are delighted to be joined in the Emperor Podcast by the star of Breaking, John Boyega. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, not too bad, I have to say. And uh, 
you know, I know the film's initial title wasn't breaking. It was uh, it was eight nine two. But okay, which one do you prefer? I've wanted to. Well, honestly, emotionally, I prefer breaking because okay. that's what the film kind of did to me. It, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it yeah. broke me. But yeah. eight nine two or eight ninety two or however it was going to be pronounced. Maybe that's why they changed it because no one knew how to pronounce yeah, it. No one, yeah, exactly. Putting <laughs> yeah. in Google so all types of stuff. It's it's one of those interesting, unusual titles. That I think it might have worked. But either way, you know what's in the name, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's right, about right. it's about exactly. the film ultimately. But what, what do you prefer? Um, breaking breaking is 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 where because uh, it's the emotional tie, as you said, um, and that's w- when I was involved in the conversation. That's what the emphasis was. Um, and and eight nine two was kind of you could forecast that it would get lost if if we kind of stayed on that name too. So it's hard to market a movie when you go eight nine five one five six and four three nine. <laughs> just <laughs> it's hard. People are going. Is this a sci fi movie? What is this? Right. What's the significance of it all? You know, it, it, yeah, I can I can see how it might get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But um, but but obviously, if it had stayed with eight nine two, I mean that is that is a hugely significant figure because that is the amount yeah, of money after you would have watched it. It yeah. would have been like oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. As you know, the powers that be sometimes want to put all all the power and energy into getting your bums on the seats, (laughs) especially after COVID. It's been uh, very, very tricky. This is true. I mean, I I saw a social media post from you uh, recently, um, you know, saying thank you for coming out to to see the movie, to support the movie, because it's it's tough if you're not a Marvel film or, you know, or a Star War or a Transformer or yeah. a Top Gun. It's 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 tricky out there at the moment. But 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 this yeah, is sure, such. Yeah. I thought this movie was terrific, and you know, you're you're fin- fantastic in it. If I may be allowed to uh, blow smoke up your backside for for, for, for two, <laughs> two seconds, uh, you know, it is such an important movie. It's uh, it you know, it really does feel like the sort of movie that people need to go and see mm, I, I definitely agree I think it presents an interesting perspective um, I think it's a very very complicated and nuanced story as well Yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for more and more people to see it and you know it's been out for a while in the States and other territories I'm way, really excited for the UK to get it as well so I'm so curious how people will respond to it yeah absolutely so, so this was something that you were parachuted into fairly fairly late in the day uh, so how, 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 how <laughs> yeah. much how much notice did you have um two weeks they uh contacted me prior to well they told me to read it first and when i when i was given the scripts i that wasn't helps. given any <laughs> yeah it wasn't given any time it was like just read it so i i, I read it and I, I thought it was phenomenal phenomenal i thought it was powerful um and then my agent called me and go yeah john but this is uh the turnaround time is a bit is a bit crazy, mate. Like this is going to be something where you're going to have to hit the ground running. Um, but thank God for Abby, our director. She really, really had a uh, crash course prepared for me, um, full of research, um, interesting perspective and commentary from people that were involved um, in the scenario. Um, details, facts about Brian, access to uh, Brian Brown Eastley's ex- ex-wife. Um, and that really just helped the the time mean something, and, and then we just had to hit the ground running like that. So, so talk me through that that process, then, because I'm I'm always fascinated by that. You know, you hear sometimes actors have you know six months to prepare, a year to prepare. If you're Daniel Day Lewis, you're preparing for it your your entire life. But two weeks yeah. is an incredible turnaround time. So so you know, are you putting everything on hold in your life? Are you immersed in Brian Brown Easley from morning to night? What sort of research are you doing? How, what sort of community conversations are you can, can you? can you live your life at that point or completely dedicated? Oh, yeah, for, I mean, for, for sure. I mean, you're, you're living your life in, 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 you know, on evenings, probably more, <laughs> more likely. But for me, it's um, just about the rehearsal process um, and being able to understand the individuals separate to 
the circumstance um and then learning and knowing the script as if it's a bible you know just like being focused so much on the details of the story working closely with the team our, our, our director um my co-stars too and mm-hmm. I just it was a combination of of all those things and i definitely would from morning to like early evening yeah for sure you are brian but when i would get back home i made sure my best friend was with me and my other mutual friend was there as well um so that when i came back home their natural energy would kind of just take me take me out of that um so i would just be at home chilling being bloody freaking londoner john <laughs> but then when i get back to that bank you know it's a different it's a different kind of mask that you put on yeah i, I can imagine so so the the, sh- the shoot itself you know I, the majority i'm guessing is is the the bank scenes and this was a really quick shoot as well it was it was a fairly intense shoot were you plunged straight into it in the bank scenes right from the off um yeah yeah um but abby done well i think the first day of shooting was just me looking at the bank like we were just shooting shots of me walking up considering going in there so when he kind of takes a cigarette out of what the new ports and he's kind of making making a decision um and we shot in la and we like during rush hour we were in front of traffic so we had people driving their cars and stopping thinking what's this old guy in glasses doing standing outside some makeshift bank and <laughs> just smoking a cigarette with cameras on him we don't know what they're doing so we have to do that for the first day and that kind of got me into it just to walk as brian not even to say a word um and then we continued from there yeah because uh, how how aware were you of of this story before I, I didn't know about it. Okay, yeah, because it, it is such a it, it's a it, it, it's a tragic story. Obviously, um, you know I don't want to give too much away about the movie, but you know it was it 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 doesn't end well. Um, and but it's a, it's also a story about broken systems and about how the system just is set up to let people down, to ignore mm. the little guy to mm. tread further on the downtrodden. And mm-hmm. it's a story that I think that, you know, it, it certainly got me, uh, my blood pumping. Uh, is this something that you, know, you and Abby and all the rest of the cast, you know, there's a sense of righteous ind- indignation, I think, that fuels the movie as well. It's this, yeah, it's this really hot, you know, yeah. sense of tragedy and loss that, that runs all the way through it. I mean, it does motivate you to, to want to have um, empathy despite, you know, the not agreeing necessarily with the way he went about it. You know, yeah. none would agree to take to take people hostage and to um, kind of uh, force any type of fear, even if your intention is not to hurt, but to actually put that in someone's brain is quite mentally traumatic for them. So no one, no one will agree with that, but there is like kind of this kind of all-knowing understanding that, well, here are the circumstances that led to those those harsh decisions. Um, some of which is not not his fault. Um, so it was interesting to to deal with that dynamic, but then understand things from um, a different perspective, like what the authorities would have heard, what would they would have assumed when they when they came down there. Um, so it was very important for us to kind of look at it from a kind of a bird's eye view in order in order to kind of put all those individual stories together. Because you know it's very it's very chaotic once it gets to to that moment, you know, when, when things start to, to, to fuel up with him in the, in the, in the bank. Absolutely. And I imagine shooting it because you're shooting most of it in the bank and you're, it's, it, it, it essentially becomes for Brian, he is in the bank with two tellers and no one else because he gets, you know, they get all the customers out. He's happy to let the customers go out. He just keeps the two tellers as kind of insurance. So it's essentially a three hander, but you're also, 
you know, he's also talking to, you know, Michael Kenneth Williams all the way through it. And, you know, yeah. and there's, there's a various phone calls as well with, you know, with his wife. Um, what those phone calls that you were having in real time with those actors or how, how did you do um, that? We actually had the actors on set um, yeah. behind the cameras doing the offlines. Um, wow. Just to keep the continuity of the intensity just right there. So you, you didn't feel like the reactions were misplaced because um, sometimes you, you could have the best editor in the world, but you can feel like the actors sometimes can be emotionally detached, especially with phone call scenes and stuff like that. And we knew a huge chunk of this w- would be a, a lot of Brian being on the phone. So um, we definitely decided to have our actors there, whether it was me and the camera was on Michael or Olivia or anybody, I'd come in and or they would come in for me and we'd give them kind of the same emotion we had when the camera was on us so that they would have something to play off. That must be that must be uh, hugely transformative in in terms of what you're getting in terms of the energy you're getting. I don't know whether you've ever had that experience in your career where, you know, maybe you're on a phone scene or maybe you're in a scene opposite an actor and the actor takes an early lunch and it's it's, nah. <laughs> it's someone just stands in for them instead. <laughs> I, I definitely ain't never had one of those ones where I would have been hit. Wait, wait, what? What kind of what kind of power is that? <laughs> Um, nah, nah, thank, and thank, thank the Lord that's not the case. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Boyeka can do the scene himself. Is right, right. <laughs> going home. Not like that at all. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, nah. There, it, it's there's a level of dedication um, and a level of connection that I've experienced, especially um, now working on these individual projects. I'm, you know, with, with Star Wars is a bit different because you're doing you're in one kind of family over some time and a few people change a few people come and go but it's kind of like the same people whereas in this each project is just different different people um, but i've been lucky enough to to have good collaborators yeah I'm, I'm i'm fascinated by your career and the choices that you make you know especially you know post post star wars which is which is you know it gives you this 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 cachet and you're making really interesting choices that not necessarily you know you, you, something like the, the woman king which is a, a fantastic supporting part mm-hmm. amazing film but yeah. and then you have this which is a lead in an indie film so you're these are not you know necessarily the big blockbusters that i think people might have expected <laughs> you to make after after star wars yeah no um but i think maybe that expectation and rightly so when you're introduced to an actor just in a franchise and you don't really know how they got there that assumption, you know, <laughs> makes sense, you know. But if you've watched me from Attack the Block, you know how I get down. <laughs> you oh, yeah. Like, oh, okay. It was more so, because I felt that, especially when it, you talk to, like, Attack the Block fans and stuff, they'd be like, oh, yeah, now you're going to go back and do all those projects like you were doing prior, huh? Yeah. Um, even though I feel like I tried to upkeep, especially during Star Wars, um, a variety, like, did Detroit, and yeah. um, I went up back on stage to do Wojciech and try to keep a versatility now. I think now is a good time where after the franchise, I have time to really lean in towards uh, versatility more. So I'm excited about it. I like it. I feel comfortable in this space. What was the biggest change in your career, really? You know, because I remember speaking to you and, you know, the rest of the cast and and, and Joe at the time of Attack the Block. And there was just this sense of excitement that you were, you know, you could, I think you could sense that you were on the cusp of something. But also, I think you were also, and this is one of the great things I think about you, that, you know, I think you, you're so considered in how you approach your career, because I think you were also aware that there are, you know, the history books are littered with actors who break through in a movie and don't go on to do anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they don't capitalize on it. 
And was that yeah. something that you were aware of with Attack the Block to, capi- yeah, to capitalize on on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, by by, by Attack the Block, um, I had you know be, been on stage and kind of started my career and um, wanted to transition into film, um, and I had kind of a formula for it. I, I didn't I didn't want to do EastEnders. <laughs> I didn't want to do the Bill. I didn't want to do Emmerdale or none of those because I just felt like. <laughs> felt like because that at the time that was kind of like the bread and butter to get by the weekend you know what i mean that was kind of like that was it was a lot of it was a lot of whole city roles and and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that i'm not i'm not shitting on it i'm just saying for <laughs> me specifically i was just like i don't want to have to go through that that same process and try it you know so i want to look for something um that is a, a bit more nuanced that is different maybe touches on something that you would expect me in but takes it in another another direction um mm. and attack the block came and it was okay cool based in my ends based in a culture that i know but it's an alien invasion um, and that for me was key okay i always want to have a career where there is some form of familiarity but then there's a there's much more of a switch up and artistically i'm always working with people that don't just have to upkeep a long-going show they actually is an original idea that they've kind of given birth to that comes with another level of of passion um and since then, I've just wanted to kind of like stay on, stay on that trajectory. But definitely during that time, um, I mean, myself and Femi will laugh about it. We were already in the mode of, okay, this is the film we're going to take to the Americans. <laughs> this, this is the film that might, Americans might like this one. And then we can, you know, see if that gets us uh, representation and, and a different, you know, boring opportunities. You know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, precisely. But you know, it, it, the question I was I was going to ask before I derailed myself, which is something I do all the time, uh, is you know, is which which do you think, in a way, was most impactful for your career? You know, Attack the Block or or that run of Star Wars movies you did. I think it's funny. There's like Attack the Block and Star Wars are like kindred spirits in a way because J.J. Abrams watched Attack the Block hmm. um, and had a general meeting with me way before any talk about about Star Wars. Um, and I went into Bad Robot. I went to go see Brian Burke. Um, I went to see J.J. Abrams and Tom Cruise was in there for some reason. They were thinking <laughs> they were doing um, ADR or something on Mission Impossible. And I was sat in the lobby just kind of like, what the hell is going on? J.J. Uh, Abrams came up to me, you know, told me that he had watched Attack the Block and he really liked what I, I did in it. Funny enough, they were also big fans of Edgar Wright and, and Joe and Naira Park and all the team there. Yeah. Um, so, so Attack the Block will always, for me, it, it kind of it shot me to a, to a position to be recognized and 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 star star wars really carved my name into the into the stone i feel mm. and i always appreciate both projects for, for for that element of effect on my career for sure mm. so did you did you meet tom cruise that day or was he i did i did meet tom cruise yeah i did and um I, yeah we took a picture yeah I've, I've, I've still got that picture actually um i met him and i was just like wow it's tom it's tom cruise like this is some la shit you know you're like you're just from britain and from London, from Peckham, just coming into LA for the first time. And then the first few meetings you have Tom Cruise coming out. That's crazy, no? So I was like, okay, this is this Hollywood shit. Was it, was I'm he... on season four. I'm on season four of Entourage. That's where I'm at in my career. I'm on season four. I'm, I'm like seeing celebrities now. Yeah, precisely. If you do Holby City, yeah. that shit is not going to happen to you. That's, that's, yeah, that's I mean, the thing. Yeah, you've got to keep disciplines, you know what I mean? But I was, I was quite... Um, I was quite, I was quite shocked. I was quite shocked by those kind of experiences. I was like, bloody hell, this is crazy. It's a real deal. 
Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to ask you about one other uh, encounter in your life. This, this isn't on the level of, of meeting Tom Cruise, but uh, uh, by the time Breaking comes out in the UK, you will have had mm. another birthday. Uh, so happy birthday for oh, a yeah. month, month's time or so. Yeah, uh, hell, yeah. Yeah. And wow, about, you reminded me. Well, there you go. <laughs> what, are you, what are you planning to do? <laughs> are you going to come to the Empire offices this time, John? Because you came to the Empire offices oh. seven years oh, ago yes, on your yes, birthday. No, I did. I'm not, I'm not going to be in London. That's the thing. Yeah. But I did... I did announce yesterday what I did. Yeah, I did announce on WhatsApp what I want to do for my birthday. And I just want to be left alone for 20, 24 hours. Just one 24 hours. <laughs> my mum right now is upset with me. My sisters are just like, wait, what? But I, it's just what I really want. So I can finish Hogwarts Legacy. <laughs> Have you been playing that game, mate? No. <laughs> I'm, pl- I'm playing mate, FIFA. It's like magic, I'm playing FIFA, it's like that's all. GTA, you know what I mean? So I'm just, I just want to spend time with snacks. PS5, one day, no call about work, no email about nothing. Just one day to be a slob. Um, and then that would be, be the dream, man. That's the dream. That's the dream. Because I was wondering when you said, I want, I want to be alone for my birthday. I was thinking, well, it's not like a landmark yeah, birthday. Yeah, I, I actually Googled it. It's funny. I, I, Googled, I Googled it. Because you know when you put on Yahoo Answers, I want to know who else feels like that. And how did you break, <laughs> how did you break it to your family? That I just want, just, 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 one, just one day. Just, just one. I see you the next day. We can still celebrate go dinner, <laughs> yeah. do that. But the day, just give that to me and I'm cool for my birthday. I'm going to be I'm around. Uh, okay, well, uh, yeah. if I could bequeath that to you, if I could give that to you as a gift, I would. But exactly. I, I suspect- but definitely, I'm, I'm going to stop by the by the office, but probably mid-year or something. But I'm, I'm definitely going to stop by for sure. All right, okay. John, this is this is being recorded. This is a podcast. This is going out. That's no, no, legally, no. That's Look, legally guys, binding. Re- remember how the first time it happened? It was through Twitter. Yep. And that's you right. guys didn't think I was going to come. Yep. So, that's right. I had you know, to, I had to very quickly it. get together a Star Wars quiz for you as well, which was <laughs> yeah, which was a lot of you fun. Oh, be, that, hey, we round two this time. You did very badly, if I recall. But uh, but but <laughs> yeah, hey, I did. Hell. but that's because it was Force Awakens. It was Force Awakens. You know, I was warming up. <laughs> Precisely. Well, John, always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, and best pleasure, of luck. Man. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you, mate. <laughs> Cheers. All right, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by, well, honestly, it says here in my notes, pretty much the entire cast of Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> um, Honor Among Thieves. So I, for one, look forward to seeing the mm. cat lady explain the scene with the fish. Um, until then, it's goodbye from James. Goodbye. We have Tony Collette and John Leguizamo on the Pilot TV podcast on Monday talking about the power, which is embargoed. So I cannot tell you the review, but it's great. Uh, Outrageous. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. It's goodbye from Sophie. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to search the bathroom until I find something that can bludgeon someone to death. (laughs) Why are you looking at me? (laughs) Well, you know what you did. (laughs) Bye-bye. 